Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. How's it going this week, Noel? Time is a construct, Kate, and every day has felt like it's just been dragging endlessly. And so much so that I actually like clocked out of work an hour early today mm-hmm. because I thought it was 2.30 and not 1.30. I went back to work in uh-huh. my defense, but... <laughs> It's been a long week, Kate. How 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 have you been? Um, it's been spring break over here, but I've gotten like nothing done that I intended to get done because like you normally has... get a lot done on spring break too. I was gonna get so much. I've got a list here of all the stuff I was gonna get done, and literally like one thing got done. And that's because it was due. It involved yeah. rewatching some Salem's Lot, and y'all, that's it's still real creepy. It's, it's still yeah. real. Oh, good. is it? That's good to know. Yeah. Are you talking about the movie or the miniseries? 1979. Okay, yeah, Toby no, that Hooper. thing's super creepy. Super duper creepy. Yeah. Um, anyways, more on that uh, next week, maybe? Well, I'll have a thing to plug. Um, speaking of things to plug, I should mention over at Consequence of Sound, I contributed to their list of the 25 best TV teenagers of all time. Do you have thoughts on who the best TV teenagers are, Noel? Well, I know who you covered, and I think your choice was correct. Oh, thank you. Um, you're welcome. Um, yeah, so who else was on this list? I didn't actually look to see it since I sort of helped you with yours just a little bit with, like, details. Uh-huh. Um, but who else, like, made the cut here? Well, I feel like it's spoilers for the listeners, but uh, oh. but I'll say, you know, Veronica Mars is on there. Buffy's on there. Yeah. You know, yeah. Fred Savage is on there from the Wonder Years. Um, uh, Kevin. Well, Sure. Um, no, there's some good, there's, uh, an entry from the French Prince. Did anyone from Terrace House make it? Nobody from Terrace House made it. Uh, oh. no. no. <laughs> Listeners, this week in our spotlight section, we're going to be diving in with the first part of Terrace House opening new doors, um, which I dove into this week. Of course, Noel's been talking about it the last, you know, a couple weeks ago. Uh, that's, yeah, yeah. I have thoughts about the teenager on this season of Terrace House, but... He's not getting on any list of best TV teens. I will say this week, uh, after after everything this week, I was a little bit more aware that maybe a blind spot on the list was Darlene from Roseanne because I haven't seen much Roseanne, so that's I mm-hmm. wasn't able to to like consider that character. Is have you are you familiar yeah. with the original like nine seasons of Roseanne? In passing, um, my mother wasn't a big fan of Roseanne Barr. Um, she was clearly clairvoyant. Uh-huh. And so we weren't really allowed to watch it. So I've seen like episodes from across the run, but I've never watched it in any sustained way. It's sort of like The Simpsons and the, this Roseanne and The Simpsons are like two big 90s blind spots for me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We, we will be talking about Roseanne listeners. Uh, the the yeah. show, the character, the person. Uh, that'll be a little bit later. But we should talk about a little bit about the the news this week. Roseanne's yeah. already been renewed for season well, whatever. Oh yeah, <laughs> got insane Eleven. ratings. Yeah, massive, huge. Got it, it. Got NBC trying to make it '90s by math or, or what was it by science or dark science magic. or magic? Yeah. yeah, 
ratings. Um, but more exciting for us and for all the stupid hot takes I saw out there that need to be educated on the rest of the TV spectrum right now. But One Day at a Time, which also shows working class America, you know, just not the big, not as bigoted, um, got, got renewed this uh, this week as well. Finally, we I know we were worried. Yeah, we were worried, though my person pointed out that their potential of, like, holding back renewal is basically just a large marketing ploy to get people to write about it more and drive more people to watch it, which, yeah, feels right for Netflix. Yeah, that does feel like the thing they would do. They also renewed uh, Queer Eye and Nailed It. That's the the baking show. Are you, are you Do you know about Nailed It? I know nothing about this. Is this the one where they mess up, or? Yeah, this is the one where they take um, not particularly great bakers like decent home bakers but like Uh we're not talking bake-off level here right and and have them attempt to replicate super fancy baked like creations in a short period of time and they inevitably fail miserably Mm -hmm. and the they reveal their creation they just go nailed it (laughs) nailed it (laughs) um and people seem to really like it i was not enthused I watched it up and went, okay, but why I could I could watch people be really good at baking while also being really funny and self deprecating and warm and kind and like why would I why would I watch this show which is also making fun of them at the same time? So that that's that's me. But I think it's just I'm too serious, maybe. Yeah, a lot of people seem are, to really like it. You're a very serious person. I'm a serious person. I've always said this about you. Yeah, too serious. I need to get a little more lighthearted. Um, we also had renewals this week for Brockmire. Brockmire got renewed for two more seasons, which I was surprised sure. by. But I had I had to look up what Brockmire was because I'd already forgotten. Oh wow, wow! <laughs> and uh, SWAT and Steel Team over at CBS got renewed. So oh, Strike Back got renewed for another season too. It did to z- absolutely zero fanfare, except for Caitlin from TVGuide.com, who's very excited. Well, good. I'm glad she's excited. Yeah. Glad she's excited. Um, but yeah. the big thing again for us, very happy one day at a time, is yeah. coming back. Uh, irritated that we fell into the ploy of Netflix, but I honestly wouldn't have been surprised if they had canceled it because they right. Yeah, I don't trust them over there. So I'm I'm glad we're going to get another season of all those lovely characters. Um, we should talk about some of the uh, Me Too allegations that have come forward, the sexual harassment and assault uh, allegations that this week. Um, the creator, Ren and Stimpy, John Kay, or uh, Crick Felucci, maybe? I'm not sure you pronounce his last name. Don't look at me. I have no idea. <laughs> he has been accused of grooming teenage girls um and promising them like a leg up in the animation world like while he was doing Ren and Stimpy and using his power in gross and abusive ways um uh, two women have come forward Katie Rice and Robin Bird um so good on them and sounds really really gross that BuzzFeed article was super sleazy I just have so many questions for the people in that writing room you know Mm -hmm. like Obviously, we know what he is, but how yeah. do you, like, work alongside that? And Yeah. Anyways. Um, also... It made me really glad I never liked Red and Stimpy. I will say that. But, <laughs> like, never liked it. But also... Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but also, Nickelodeon has split with Dan Schneider, and there are, have been um, sort of rumblings about mm-hmm. him, but not specific... Like allegations, I think. Are there things yeah. that I've missed? 
No, like, there there have been rumblings about him off and on for the past, I'd say for a few years now. Yeah. Um, but this is the guy who created, I want to say, like, iCarly and a couple of other shows. For yeah, them. a bunch of really successful shows. Yeah, like, he's he's really done a lot of work for uh, Nickelodeon. Um, and, but yeah, so this was like a big, big sort of deal that they cut him loose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's just like it's the end of his contract, and they are opting to not renew it, which mm-hmm. um, is one way to avoid a yeah, massive it's scandal. One way. Yeah. <laughs> um. So okay, glad that that dude's out of a job. Um. In happier news, people we are at least I'm happy have jobs. Uh, John Mulaney is going to host SNL in April, and I am very excited. Uh, did you see? Yeah, everyone's really excited about that. To which I just went, okay. Oh, well, okay. Are you are you a Mulaney fan? Like, I like him, but I just, I don't get, like, this weird kind of cult of personality that has, I feel like has really sprung up around him within the past couple of years. Uh-huh. And I also just go, where were you guys when he had his sitcom? Nowhere, apparently. Well, no, when he had a sitcom, all I heard from other critics and it was comedy so fans bad. was like, I promise his stand-up is good. I don't know what's going on, but his stand-up is really good, so how does this happen? <laughs> and like yeah. the two people insisting that it was the show was somehow brilliant because he's funny, so therefore the show couldn't be what a train wreck that it was. Yeah. Um, but no, I I think his comeback kid special, like I just I relate to it so hard, as someone mm-hmm. who grew up, uh, you know, outside of Chicago in a Catholic, you know, in Catholic family and everything, like so, it, he nailed so much in that comedy special uh, of uh, things that my my whole family could relate to. Um, so yeah, like I I watched that and then sat the parents down like you need to watch this and they were laughing their butts off like. Like, and also with the, what, what, um, that, yeah, anyways, go watch Comeback Kid if you haven't, um, so because of that, then I was aware of some of his other work, um, and I haven't seen, um, was, oh, oh, hi, what's, what's his thing with Nick Kroll? The Broadway show? Yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I don't watch that either. Yeah, I haven't watched that one yet. I think that's on Netflix, but um, people seem to really have enjoyed it. But I, I've, I've caught some of the other stuff I thought he was super funny uh, in when he popped up in like on um, Lady Dynamite and some other places. He popped up for a cameo during Bill Hader's like, recent SNL uh, as... <laughs> Stefan's lawyer shy um, for just like two seconds and was hilarious. So I, I do look forward to what he will hopefully bring to SNL. He also has new Netflix special. He's going to do a series of specials, but the first one is coming, uh, going to be released on May 1st. So that's super exciting. Also very excited for Tobias Menzies to be the new Prince Philip in the crown. Uh, are you on, on board the Menzies train or is that another one where you're like, okay. I, I, I'm, well, it's sort of weird. I'm glad you're excited. I'm glad a number of other people are excited. My friend Danielle just went, no, um, when she heard this news, because I broke it to her and she just went, no. And so I kind of, I, I go, why does Tobias Menzies just keep playing assholes and jerks? He's very Uh, good at it. He's very good at it. Like he's still good at it on the terror, which we'll talk about a little bit later, Mm -hmm. but it's just like, and I'm, I'm not sure if Philip is like a, complete jerk but he was very much a kind of a jerk in the first season of the crown that i watched so 
Maybe he mellowed with age. Well, you know, he he's on the terror right now, which is exciting. I I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if he doesn't last super long <laughs> on that show. And he's he's not on Outlander anymore. Uh, so I'm just glad that he's. Oh, didn't... is he not? Yeah. That oh makes yeah, sense. he's not on. He won't be on the new season of of Outlander. Okay. I was wondering why he suddenly had all this work. <laughs> well, because he's been working consistently. Yeah. Um, on yeah. The, like, he was on, uh, he popped up on Catastrophe for a few episodes in the previous mm-hmm. season. Like, he's he's just been around, but I'm glad that he's getting such a prominent role. Um, and I, he's going to be dynamite with Olivia Coleman, of course. Yeah, so. no, that's super true. But everyone's dynamite with Olivia Coleman. <laughs> it It is very true. It is very true. Yeah. But I'm, so I'm stoked about that. I haven't really watched The Crown because I, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't care. But this, this might that, that that pairing of the two of them might be enough to get me to watch this yeah. upcoming season. It probably will be enough to get me to at least <laughs> check it out. Um, and the last one we have to mention. I'm so excited. Back when this was first announced, uh, Netflix announced it was doing an animated Carmen San Diego project, and Gina Rodriguez was going to be the voice of Carmen San Diego. Yes. We were all very excited. Now they're announced doing a live action thing, and she's all going to be Carmen San Diego in that too. And I am so excited. I just I'm I, very I excited wait. about this. You know she's gonna nail the gum like gum shoes like when they give that yeah. to, when they find a way for her to say that. I can't wait. Yeah, no, it's gonna be really good, and we should also note that she's gonna produce it as well, which I'm very yes. excited about. Yes. Um. So yeah, no, this is very exciting, and like I I really love Carmen Sandiego just as like a franchise concept. Um, it's very mm-hmm. near and dear to my heart. Um, as someone who just didn't know where to put those flashing poles in Africa half the time. But still, <laughs> like, I, I, I watched that show every... I played the computer games. Like, I'm very invested in Carmen Sandiego. So I was really excited when they announced that she was going to be doing the voicing. And now that she's going to do the live action film, which is going to be separate from the series, we should note. Um, yeah, I'm just... I'm super excited about this. Are you excited for the new uh, acapella theme song that's gonna have to happen and it better be good netflix whether it's for the live action or the animated i expect well, that theme song to return and it better be a good version well here's the thing it's just like sure yes the acapella theme song will be most welcome but also the theme song for the 1990s carbon san diego animated series is very good as well kate is this does this have the, the same lyrics or is it completely separate it's I'm like eighty percent positive. It's like completely separate. It's I have no idea what thing. this is. Okay, I'm gonna <gasps> have to go to YouTube. Yeah, we will. Listeners will have to take a, a quick break here so that I can go do that. Okay. Well, wh- while I go listen to this theme song, um, let's take a break. Listen to some music from this week's TV, and we'll be right back yeah. with our week in comedy.
Puerto Rico. This week in comedy, we're going to talk about the premiere of Roseanne, season 10, 20 Years to Life and Dress to Impress. Then we'll talk about the premiere of Splitting Up Together, uh, their pilot, Alex Inc. had its premiere, The Unfair Advantage. Barry premiered over on HBO, Chapter 1, Make Your Mark. I'll talk a little bit about the Silicon Valley premiere, Grow Fast or Die Slow. Then we have some finales. The Detour had a season finale, The Escape, and, the Gr- and Gronish had a season one finale, Back and Forth. And then we'll round things out with Full Frontal with Samantha Bee's Great American Puerto Rico hour-long special it's a lot of shows here guys uh we're gonna try to keep it shorter but i'm not anticipating that so first up is roseanne and let's start with first let's just start with how are these episodes just as comedy as sitcoms uh outside of the larger political conversation and then we're definitely having that conversation but first let's start out with are these good episodes of sitcom if this was a new show would you watch this show Maybe, like, I think some of the jokes land fairly well. Um, I do think, like, some of the, especially some of the caricature stuff um, regarding um, Jackie is really broad. Um, Like, on multiple levels of, like, a life coach, which is a very tired joke at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, Or just the general caricature of her as a um, Hillary supporter is also very sort of, like, it's very broad. Mm -hmm. Um, But... I like, like, a lot of those stuff surrounding um, Gilbert's character, um, Darlene, and her kids, I think, really works pretty well. Um, mainly, like, their core sort of relationship, I think, works really well. Um, and it's still really funny in terms of, like, John Goodman can basically just not do anything, and he's terrific. It's really kind of stunning, and you've, it all, you also notice how just really bad of a performer Roseanne Barr can be sometimes when everyone else around her is really, really good. And you get that with Metcalf who's selling the bad stuff. And you get that with Goodman who just, as we've known for decades now, can just do anything. Um, so, but I think overall it's funny-ish in places. Um, and I would probably watch more of it. Uh, how did you feel about it? Yeah, I think, um, Basically, this is a, overall a really good cast, and yeah. even <laughs> even when it doesn't seem like they're trying, they're mm-hmm. gonna be really funny. Um, yeah. So you know, like the and and clearly the there's such a strong chemistry and rapport with this ensemble as well that you know, like if this was a new show, you, we'd be remarking on the chemistry of the ensemble and like how how well they all fit together. Um, so yeah, I would be like maybe. With especially yeah. with there being a bunch of finales coming up, you know, already hap- having happened or coming up, um, then and you know, I'm open to a show that wants to actually have a conversation about a family very split over politics and the the, the state of the country right now. Um, so if this felt like a show that wanted to have an honest conversation about that stuff, that would be really enticing to me, and that'll lead us right into. One of my two big bones I have to pick with this, which sure. uh, the first of which uh, I'll just get mention and we can bring you know talk about it later more if you want. But the coverage around this has been terrible. Like yeah, the, the absolutely write-ups, horrible. It's been no. Horrible. Let's just let's just dig into it right now because it's it's sort of ridiculous and horrible how everyone's just been like, oh, finally, a look into the middle class. Or, like, uh, well, either working class or middle class, depending on how you want to parse those. And most writers don't really 
dive into that and use them interchangeably. But yeah, it's just kind of bad. Really yeah. bad. I've seen a lot of hot takes from people who aren't TV critics who don't mm-hmm. watch enough TV to really know what's going on in in, in network sitcoms right now, and especially if you yeah. added streaming. Um, I was right. texting with you the other day, like right after the day after this premiered, I was listening to... Uh, I was listening to Blabbermouth, um, and Dan Savage was talking about this. And don't get me wrong, I really, I really enjoy Dan Savage. The guy's really smart. I really appreciate his perspective. He does not know what's going on on network TV right now because he's like, it's like the only show. It's amazing that a show would actually talk about struggling middle class. It's like, have you seen The House on Speechless? Have you seen One Day at a Time where the grandma lives in the living room with a curtain because they can't afford a big enough place? Like, there are other shows. Shows that have been doing this and there were some really ridiculous terrible hot takes about um nobody else is having these difficult conversations like well on the carmichael show like a year ago they were talking about how the dad was a trump supporter and it was a black family like this is not new you just weren't right. paying attention to a lot of other shows that have been like how long has the middle been on 11 years, Um, and they don't, like, wade into politics, but, I mean, they're very firmly, like, lower middle class, if not, like, qualified as working class, depending on how you want to parse that again. Yeah. Um, But also, it's just, like, if you were, like, oh, but now we actually have, like, conservative working class folks on television, I just go, guys, The Ranch has been on for, like, three or four years now, and you're just not watching it, and The Ranch is something that I'm not seeing being entered into this conversation at all. Yeah. Like, I, like, did a quick Google, and, like, IndieWire mentioned it, like, really briefly. But mm-hmm. it's just, like, that entire show is grounded on a working-class family that is deeply conservative. Yeah. I don't know what you're expecting for me to say when you're just like, yeah, finally, it's back. And it's just like, no, it's it's been here. You're just not paying attention. Like... Fresh off the boat, rented their house until basically this season. Yeah. House on Speechless, like you said, really not a great house. The house on the middle is very much not a great house. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's always been present. It's just people go, well, ABC's had Modern Family for 10 years. And it's just like, yes, no, the Dunbys are deeply, deeply affluent. Yeah. That is, that is a thing. And yes, ABC's Comedy Slate especially with the two other shows that we're going to talk about, are deeply grounded in affluence. Mm -hmm. But this is not a new thing for ABC's program development. And it's also not really like a new thing for a number of other type of things. Like, it's economic problems are a big thing on Mom, for instance. Yeah. Um, Not so much now, but especially earlier in the show's run, it was a huge thing. So it's just like, I don't know. These people aren't watching television. Yeah. Well, and, and we've been talking about the, like, the revival in issue and sociologically, like, societal issue-based comedy. Yeah. For literally, mm-hmm. like, three or four years now. With yes. the retur- with, with the start of Blackish, um, when that came back, and One Day at a Time, years, yeah. not long after it, and, of course, the Carmichael yeah. short bef- Carmichael. before those. Yeah. Like, this was, like, there was, remember that last wave of think pieces that happened like three years ago about this and how it was a return to Norman Lear style sitcoms? Yeah. And then to see, I don't, I don't know the name of the writer who had that one. It's, there's one particular quote that's been going around Twitter a lot, TV Twitter a lot, with which people listing, but what about like all these different shows that have been doing this? And that doesn't mean that Roseanne isn't doing that, but yeah. it means that you don't give, don't give ABC super credit for, you know, showing both sides 
sides of arguments, as another person pointed out on Twitter, when they are also the network that didn't want to air the players kneeling at football games episode of Blackish, a show that has been very aware of different perspectives. This, their episode this last week very specifically took on respecting yes. different opinions and also, you know, like a bunch of different sides of, of issues surrounding surrounding food, surrounding religion, surrounding race uh, and, and, and history. Like, yeah. So, anyway, so I've been very uh, irritated. It's like, like, okay, I don't go to your job and talk about <laughs> film. I don't talk about like other like general pop culture as an expert. Don't show up and be like, well, clearly I know everything about there's no about TV. I've been paying close attention. Like, come on, come on, stick, stay in your lane. And if you don't, if it's not your lane and you have opinions, then that's great. But don't try to speak authoritatively. Be like. I, in you know, in my experience, or it seems like, or isn't it interesting how not? Ugh. Anyways, do you have any other thoughts on that? No, it, it's just it's been really frustrating because I saw some I saw some of that getting passed around. You told me about the Dan Savage thing, um, and I discussed it quite a bit with like my person a little bit um, yesterday. And I mean, we just had a it was basically just like this is a little ridiculous. And I think a lot of it got puffed up by the fact of how many people tuned in to watch Roseanne's mm-hmm. premiere. And how that really motivated a lot of these, oh, finally, yes, this is what people have been waiting for. They wanted to see themselves on television. And it's just like, oh, so a white working class family needed to be on television. I I feel like that's been on television for a while. Yeah. (laughs) Well, or like the idea that, oh, finally someone's doing this. Oh, you you just mean finally able-bodied white people are doing this. Because yeah, and- people of color t- have been doing that on TV, like chose geared toward, like centered on families uh, of color, uh, working class, like on on one day at a time. She's a nurse, like yeah. like Cuban immigrants, like like. There's been all sorts of people doing the show, so just they haven't been with a white able-bodied cast. Entirely yeah. white little body cast. Well, I should say almost entirely, because there's a little black child in the background of Roseanne. So that's supposed to tell us that, see, they're not racist. They couldn't be. <laughs> or, you know, they're fine with gender fluidity, and they are. But, you know, they still voted for a guy who would probably not be okay with it. Yeah. But and- it's okay, because they love their individual child. Yeah. Okay, then, then let's talk. That's the other thing I want to talk about with this is... yeah. I would be very interested if I felt like the show wanted to have an actual conversation about this. Like, I'm not the Mm -hmm. only one, I'm sure, who has very strong feelings about the state of the country right now and the the previous election and and everything else, who has family members who it's very hard for me to understand how they voted the other way. Like, to, like, breaks part of my brain and has me questioning, like, really fundamental things that I know about you know, these family members are, are like, you know, acquaintances and friends, like very, it's a like break my brain kind of hard level of things. Um, I don't feel like the show has a genuine interest in doing that because it feels like it's basically kowtowing to Roseanne Barr's politics, which don't match at all, in my opinion, with Roseanne Connor's politics uh, and the rest of the history of the show. And like, it doesn't seem interested in that disparity or in showing what happened to move Roseanne for being a very liberal and progressive voice to being such a, st- a staunch supporter of such a 
destructive and backwards, uh, like meaning wishing to move backwards force. Um, and, and the belittling of, uh, of Jackie, I think is one part of that, but also because the show refuses to go on the record in these first two episodes, at least it makes such a big deal about this tension between Roseanne and Jackie. And it's great that we see Darlene trying to facilitate communication and healing, but the show won't tell us who Darlene voted for. The show won't tell us who anybody else in that family voted for. Yeah. Because I think they just want us to not think about it. Yeah. And I think the other aspect of the tension is the fact that the the relationship between Jackie and Roseanne is just resolved too tidily. Especially, oh, yeah. it's just like kind of ridiculous in that, no, this is something that's been going on for like a year and a half. And we're just expected to roll with the fact that Jackie's back in their lives, even though nothing is resolved beyond the fact that Roseanne sort of quasi maybe apologized for being kind of terrible. And also but she Jackie's doesn't. Way- she doesn't. And Jackie's been weighed down by the fact that she voted for Jill Stein for a year and a half instead. Yeah. And also Jill Stein. Just, oh, yeah. okay. Uh, um, so th- all of that is bundled up in, all of that is bundled up in this and it doesn't, doesn't add anything really. It just becomes like a weird sort of, topical but without any thing to say topical yeah and that's that's sort of like the weird disconnect between what i'm hearing from and reading from a lot of different folks is like yeah no there's there's a conservative thing but it's not like staking out any territory and i'd actually respect the show to a certain degree more if it like staked out some sort of territory even if i would very vehemently disagree with it but also at some point if roseanne connor starts calling people crisis actors i'm out yeah well i don't think the show will have the guts to share roseanne barr's politics to that level which is something that note um roseanne barr has deleted a lot of her Twitter feed because she is one of those people who has been propagating conspiracy theories, Pizzagate, uh, crisis actors, all that stuff. So it's not just like, oh, you know, look at those intolerant liberals who don't want to hear anything positive about Trump voters. Like, like, that's a whole other level of that. Um, But that's Uh off the show. That's not having to do with the show itself. So I'm going to stick to the show itself and say I found it like really frustrating and exactly uh, like a crystallization of the, my problems with the show, the punchline at the end of the first episode being like, they, they move towards the center a little bit. Jackie and Roseanne come to terms a little bit and Jackie apologizes. Roseanne refuses to apologize at all and just barely inches a baby toe forward and then Jackie runs into her arms and is so enthused. Yeah. Like that's that is that is how we got to the situation we're in. <laughs> One side looking to compromise, the other side refusing to, and then just having the barest movement of an inch and be a, a massive victory rather than you know the person like, like Jackie demanding respect and demanding. Uh, the same, like, to, as much from Roseanne as Roseanne is demanding from her. And it's just, it was just everything just in a nutshell. It's like, you want this to be, 
like the 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 lesson that I take away from that episode is see can't we just all get along and the way we get along is by you saying you were wrong and me saying I forgive you for being wrong and then now we can all you can just shut up and stop having any complaints with or saying anything that you don't like anything that I'm doing so that's how we can have a peaceful family and that is a, that's a facile and false and really lazy solution to a significant problem in a lot of households in the country right now. So it's just, if they want to impress me, that's not how they're going to do it. Um, the second episode I thought was a little better, but again, it doesn't actually speak to any of these issues. It's just like my little special, you know, special grandkid is, is worthy of, of, you know, protection and rights and care and consideration. But the, the overall group of people in the country aren't so or not seeing the disconnect there. And the show doesn't acknowledge that they don't see the disconnect in any way. So yeah, it's, or it's not interested in the fact that there is a disconnect. So yeah, it's not. Yeah. That that's, that's what's disconcerting to me for that. So um, are you going to keep watching? Um, probably not. Um, I know ABC has got a couple more screeners up and I may check those out. Um, mm-hmm. is a way of not letting ABC register anything that I'm watching, kind of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm probably going to tap out. Yeah. What about you? Um, I will see how my time goes. I may yeah. watch more, but, um, it just, I, I, Roseanne Barr is a really disgusting and yeah. horrible person. And I find it hard to support through even just my discussion around a a project of hers. Like, I find it hard Mm -hmm. to do that. And again, like, it's the thing I go to when people are asking me if I've seen the latest fill-in-the-blank movie or show, like Woody Allen or whatever. Like, "Mm, no, no, because there's plenty of art by people that I don't find abhorrent that I haven't seen yet. So why would I prioritize that? And that's not to discount the fact that Sarah Gilbert is actually the executive producer of this and a main, you know, significant force in its the show coming back. Um, and it's a diverse group of writers. So it's not just the Roseanne Barr show, yeah. but it is her name, it is her face, and it is uh, her... <laughs> she's the one getting the accolades. Um, yeah. And so it's it's hard for me to, to marry those two. So we will see. I would not anticipate us talking about it on the show, though, unless something happens to warrant that. Yeah, I think so. Okay, let's let's. We talked a long time about Roseanne, but let's. We're going to keep it a little quicker here with uh, splitting up together, which is a a new pilot, which I thought was actually kind of an interesting idea. A, pair, a couple gets divorced, and so they keep the kids in the house, and the parents instead of having the kids go between two houses, the parents trade off between two houses, which is apparently based yeah. on a Danish show. I never would have thought of that, but that actually kind of, if you have a garage that you can convert into an apartment, that's actually not a terrible idea. Um, no. Yeah, I thought this was fine. Not that interesting. It probably won't c- come back for more, but certainly for a comedy pilot, which can they can notoriously be terrible. This was solid. Yeah. What, what did you think? I thought it was okay. I wasn't particularly like impressed by it one way or the other. Um... I, I do agree, like, the, the, the overall sort of um, premise for it is neat. Um, and this approach to co-parenting, I think, is fascinating. I'd be more on board if it wasn't, like, already in the pilot so deeply invested in uh, 
Oliver Hudson's character being like, oh, maybe I really want to get back together with my wife. Yeah. And it's just like right there in the pilot. And it's just like, Lord, already, I don't even think that this divorce is cold yet. And <laughs> they're, they're, the show's already like really gearing up for like their season arc being him coming to terms with the fact that he's still in love with uh, Lena, uh, who's played by uh, Jen Fisher. And it's just like, guys, just let, let your idea breathe a little bit and let this divorce like breathe a little bit here. Um, so yeah, I'm, and they're already like playing that up in the promos a bit too, about how he's getting really frustrated with seeing her like dating. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, oh, I don't, I don't understand why we're doing this, but okay. These, the kids seem cute at least. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I needed, I really enjoyed the part two of three, um, centipede gag. Where you can see him in the background fuzzily along right. the wall. But there's no big payoff for But it. there's no payoff. I was waiting yeah. for the three of three, rule of three, yeah. you know, set up, intermediary payoff. Big. I was waiting for that to come, like, while they were ha- while he was having his dance lesson or something. Yes. And but, it never did. And it never did. Um, not a good sign, guys. No. Nope. You know. um, but, but, you know, solid. Fair enough. Yeah. You know. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, Alex Inc., I kind of feel similarly about about that one. This is uh, based on a startup podcast uh, that Alex Bloomberg did when he quit his job at uh, uh, This American Life to start uh, the, a podcast studio, Gimlet. Is, are they the guys who did Gimlet. Serial? No, that was done. That wasn't them. There was some. Who, do, anyways, apparently they're very. That's a big podcast network. I'm not familiar yes. with it, but apparently it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. I should know that. <laughs> but um, it, so it stars Zach Braff as that character, um, based on his actual life. Uh, this explains why Good Place kept a Ferrari in the garage. I will leave that to you to discuss. Um, but uh, there's obviously being about someone trying to start a podcast. Empire, obviously, we're going to have a direct in there. Um, I, I enjoy uh, Zach Braff, and I think he's at a decent level of Braffiness here, so it's not too much. Um, yeah. But this pilot does have one of my least favorite setups, which is the start in media ray and then go back and narration and all this different, like, I'm good. I don't need, you know, like, I, 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 that structure gets tiresome to me. Um, so I thought it was fine. The kids are cute. They have a good cast. Um, that's about all I got, though. Yeah. Well, I so the Ferrari in the Garage refers to um, uh, Tia Sarkar, um, who played um, Vicky over in The Good Place. And I kept bemoaning the fact that Vicky didn't get enough to do in the second season of The Good Place. And now we know why. She was busy <laughs> filming this. And I'm glad she's got a like second third co-lead at this point because michael imperioli is also mm-hmm. on um alex inc but is so i was this explains why they kept that ferrari in the garage um never keep a ferrari in the garage michael um <laughs> but yeah i think this is also similarly sort of okay um braff is like you said like in sort of a decent level of braffiness um and i don't know that i necessarily like get particularly invested that um alex is just like man i just why won't people believe in my vision and it's just like (laughs) because it's a stupid vision your vision's fine it's silly but it's fine go do it go go do it white dude that's clearly made enough money that you can do this and your public defender or wife is okay with it just 
mm-hmm. let's do it. You've got some cute kids, including one who's very okay with his magic. And I think that's good. That's positive that your kid is very okay with magic. Um, mm-hmm. But there's not a whole lot else. Like, like, like your problem with the Media Res basically mirrors my problem with the, oh, I have an epiphany and I'm going to drive through the gates at this private airport and get arrested and like there's not gonna uh, be any consequences in episode two yeah there's not gonna be any consequences in episode two there's not gonna be any sort of like the general like ah oh, my inspiring moment type of thing and that that's all he that the rich guy needed to be sold on investing it's just like okay is was where i had like the larger issue apart from the structurally of this episode but yeah it's fine um i do think the kids are really cute on this as well Mm -hmm. um so of these two are you going to check out either of them again or are you kind of like going to tap out i'm more likely to check out alex inc just because of the podcasting stuff um Mm -hmm. but and i should specify i said it's a stupid dream uh it is a ridiculous dream uh, the fact that he succeeded is great. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but like when he was doing this, people didn't know what podcasts were. You know? Yes, it's true. And, and yeah. so, like, it's don't be when you are ahead of the curve that much, and you have the vision for something like that. Don't be surprised that people don't get it. Of course, if everybody got it, you would be too late. And when you're good, when you're bad at presenting it too. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, so I'm more likely to check back in with this one, um, but we'll see. Uh, I, the one that, of these new comedies that I'm most likely to keep sticking around for a while is Barry over on HBO, which is a show about a hitman who decides maybe he wants to become an actor um, after one class with uh, Henry Winkler, <laughs> which in my head, he's he's Barry, the lawyer from uh, Arrested <laughs> Development, who's just like moonlighting. Um, but anyways, uh, this is Bill Hader. uh in a, a really subdued performance, but I think a, a strong one, and there's a lot of potential here. The the cast on this is pretty darn good. Um, Darcy Carden shows up for, sadly, only one episode. But uh, uh, Melissa Villasenor pops up at the end, um, so like it seems like there will be a, a good supporting cast here. Uh, what did you think uh, of this one? Are you are you good for a you know hitman wants to go legit? Has it been a while and long enough since you had that storyline that you're up for doing it again? I'm up for doing it again because I think Bill Hader is really good in this. Like you said, it's a really subdued performance, but it's a really strong subdued performance, I feel like. Um, And Hader does a really nice job of conveying that sense of epiphany of like, oh, this is what I want to do. And I really like that. I'm really fascinated by that. And I'm also really fascinated. Like I read an interview with Hader um, in, I forget which magazine. Um, that talked about how he was just getting really worn out by doing SNL, but he was so good at doing SNL that he just couldn't like bring himself to quit. And basically being a hitman in this show is a substitute for being <laughs> on SNL. That's fine. And yeah. I find that frame of how they're like thinking about that show really compelling and mm-hmm. really kind of interesting. I don't expect that to like carry over, but I like that concept of how they're framing the show internally to tackle this kind of an idea. Mm-hmm. And also Stephen Root is just so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so no, I'm really keen to watch more Barry. I think it'll be, I'm really excited to see more of this. Um, I think it'll be pretty good. I'm excited. 
Yeah. Well, and I'm, you know, I think I'm excited to have the show paired with Silicon Valley, too. Um, as much as, you know, I would love for Veep to be back, but it'll be back later this year. Now that Julia Louis-Dreyfus is out of the woods, um, for, at least for now, um, because it, it, like, changes up a little bit. I think HBO needs some fresh blood, so this is a very promising yeah. new addition to their lineup. Uh, Silicon Valley had its season five premiere, Grow Fast or Die Slow. Um and it was a strong premiere. I laughed several times. There are some really <laughs> terrific physical... Co- like, it's such a stupid, obvious joke, but, like, they're just trying to decide what room to rent, like, office space to rent, and they get the... the, the they look at this really depressing, dismal room, all fluorescent lighting inside, like, like a door that, like, really locks the sound in, so there's a constant buzz, and everything is, like just depressing and they got these outlets sticking out of the floor and like they trip over them like really hard twice but it's just still so it's like such an obvious thing but it's just so funny <laughs> this cast is good at the stupid physical comedy um so i will watch that uh pretty much any day of the week i really appreciate the the what seems like a very active attempt at least in this episode to counteract some of their uh uh white cishet male casting um they have a bunch of different uh coders who pop up over the course of this episode like like 50 60 um and they are much more diverse than like gender and ethnicity and uh than we usually see on this show um they have these three (laughs) three stallions coders (laughs) that they are so happy that they have that they've hired for their company um, that they just keep looking over to just in wonder and awe. And it's it's like these two dudes and, and this lady and they're just like kind of hunched over computers and it's it's a it's a good sight gag. Uh so I I appreciate that effort. I don't know if that'll actually materialize into anything. Into sure. speaking parts, into meaningful characters, into memorable characters. But I because I've dinged the show on that significantly in the past, I felt like I should mention uh, I appreciate the attempts to at least start correcting for that here um i don't know that you know like it's very it's just very repetitive it's a, the same beats the show has done for the past several seasons just in a slightly different way and that's still funny because they've got a very funny cast but i don't know how long that's gonna be funny uh, it feels a little mm-hmm. bit like diminishing returns so i i just hope they have some new ideas and it doesn't just turn into the exact same thing we've seen like this episode felt like the previous season's like the arc that they go on, it, but in an episode. So it would be nice if we we're going to do something different. I am not actually hopeful that that will happen, though. So we'll see. Um, but I, like I said, I laughed. I can watch Martin Starr and Camille Angiani trade barbs any day of the week. Like, like I'm sure. always going to enjoy my time with them. Um, and like again, this is one of the funnier shows. Like I, we watched a lot of comedy this week. And this is definitely the funniest thing I, I watched. Like, laugh out loud funniest thing I watched. I think Barry's more, more interesting, but Silicon Valley was funnier. So um, I'm going to keep watching this for a while. Uh, the one I'm not going to miss watching, and I will, it, it's, it, it, I don't oh. even know if we're coming back next year, is The Detour, which had a season finale to escape. Wow. We were so hopeful after season one. And then season two, yeah. we're like, okay, yeah, maybe. And then this third season, man, it, it, They've lost. They've lost what made this show so interesting. Yeah, they, and a lot of it, I think, is the fact that they they've sort of like steadily drifted away from the core family um, dynamics um, yeah. to the point where, like, the idea of their season four, which I admit I find deeply intriguing, mm-hmm. um, 
just goes, oh, did you realize all the mistakes you made? Or were people just, like, not available when you needed to film this? And that's why there's just so heavy an emphasis on Jason Jones and slash Nate this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, we were, I, we were pretty like, I was very excited about this season based on the first couple episodes. And then it just kept steadily like dropping, like in terms of like, uh, I guess I can watch the detour was how I was feeling about it. Yeah. Especially by the end, I was just like, the show's not particularly funny. It's not offering anything particularly insightful. It's a lot as like, had we, you and I had both talked about, um, off, off mic, um, like a lot of like toxic masculinity, but mm-hmm. not really doing or saying anything with it in any interesting ways. Like the fishing episode where it's just like, he like gets revved up by the idea of, beating up on his sister-in-law yeah physically demolishing his sister-in-law yeah Yeah. and it's just like oh well this she's she's annoying yes she's terrible no one likes her but the degree to which that that is implied that he managed to win all of this money through that process is horrible and gross and the show doesn't say or do anything about that at all yeah um, and it's just, it's really frustrating. And like the highlight basically in the back half of the season is the three of them super high on a mountainside <laughs> was very funny, mm-hmm. but the rest of like the arc of the show, just like, I was bored to tears, Kate, and I shouldn't be bored to tears with a show that I was really excited about at the beginning of the season, but also that had such a really strong first season and a generally okay second season but this was just like oh was sort of where i ended up as and again like as much as i'm intrigued by the idea of them trying to find delilah for potential season four i'm just kind of like no delilah don't come back don't let them find you they didn't earn that end of the episode at all they wanted us all of a sudden to like pivot and to really care and be so invested that she had run away right and to like see oh she'd been planning this this whole time i'm sorry delilah's not a planner that's a total retcon of a character um Mm -hmm. and they had they didn't earn it they yeah they didn't earn it it's a very usual suspect sort of end and yeah no they don't earn it no and so, like, it's, like, you needed to have been funnier, and you needed mm-hmm. to have been, or if you wanted this twist at the end, you needed to have been, like, threading just a little bit more heart, so yeah. that we then you turn the knife at the end, and it's actually, like, a payoff and not just a twist. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah, like, ugh. Sorry, sorry, Detour, I'm not going to miss you. We'll see if I tune in when it comes back. Um, yeah. Whereas I think Gronish had a really lovely first season finale back and forth and i i thought that you know it's always disheartening to me when the the show centered around the young woman um bases its finale its most important episode around what boy does she like it's like there's Mm -hmm. um, of all the things you know but if you're gonna do that episode i think they did a really good job with it here and i i kind of love the answer they came to and the, the the defense that the episode gives for why yeah, and I think that's what sells that. Like, I had the same issue of, like, we're just going to do this and not an Adderall resolution? Guys, come yeah. on. Yeah, Um, Like, that plot just fell away. It gets mentioned, like, in episode, I want to say, eight. Um, but no, well, it doesn't come back. That's, that, could, um, that could come back in season two. Oh, yeah, no, it can totally come back in season two, and it needs to come back in season two. Um, But, 
the idea that it's Luca, the idea that this sort of disrupts her world in some way, but in a positive way and in a way that she was just like, you haven't said anything bad about him at all. And that it's sort of like, it expands your worldview in a way that makes sense for you. And I, I yeah, so yeah, the resolution is what makes it good, frankly. Um, if it had been Cash or Aaron, it would have been like, well, that's fine, I guess. Not Cash. It but couldn't Aaron. be Cash. <laughs> no, it couldn't be Cash. Um, it was more so like, which of these series regulars are you going to pick? <laughs> um, so, yeah, but if it had been Aaron, it would have... It wouldn't have, it would have made for like a season of weird sort of mismatch of Zoe sort of like having to pretend to care about things that she does care about, but not nearly as deeply. <laughs> well, and Aaron has a lot of growing to do. Yeah, like, that's like also like super true. He's the older of the of the two characters, but Luca is much more, and like you could argue Luca needs to get some things screwed on, parts of his head screwed on better too. But Aaron, um, at least in in relation to Zoe, uh, he inspires her to be passionate about what he cares about. Yes. Luca inspires her to be passionate about what she cares about. And the the way the show articulates that is powerful and really satisfying. It really, Mm -hmm. um, it's like, because of course you think of other episodes that have done this, like the Felicity, you know, where she going for summer break you know like cliffhanger and then next fall premiere Um, other shows have done this and that is not a perspective i've seen those shows really think about um Mm -hmm. and and i mean come on aaron still has that horrible rat tail clearly (laughs) clearly he's not ready he's got some maturing to do you can't you can't like can't be doing you can't be getting with that guy if he still has thinks that rat tail's a good decision but um any other thoughts on, on grownish no okay i've broken noel here uh let's let's uh pivot on me breaking noel to all of us so many of us contributing in our own small american ways to breaking puerto rico uh full frontal with samantha b had their their much hyped hour-long Great American Puerto Rico uh, special. Did this live up to the hype for you? I don't know that it lived up to the hype um, necessarily, but I really enjoyed it all the mm-hmm. same. Um, it, I think I was waiting for like more, like, I think I was waiting for more in-depth stuff than what we ended up getting, um, which I think they they decided to go for breadth instead of depth um, to show various recovery efforts to highlight certain organizations and um so i i really liked that sort of thing um and so i appreciated that um but at the same time i would have been like i would have really preferred a really bigger like exploration particularly of like the blockchain stuff and but also like the discussion around statehood versus independence and what all of that meant and means and that got really sort of pushed aside in favor of some fun jokes about providing alibis for congressmen or getting getting your picture taken with a famous celebrity. Yeah. And so I think it was good. I think it was a good snapshot, but that's what it was, was a snapshot. A good snapshot, but the snapshot all the same. How did you feel? Um, I agree. And I think yeah. that, uh, well, I don't begrudge them all the 
the big like media push they did for this, even yeah. if just to remind people, hey, this still still yeah. a thing happening in Puerto Rico, yeah. like it's still a problem. And you yeah. know, like when the one the one person in the interview talked about how we're not that far away from hurricane season again, uh, yeah. it's just like that was uh, that was just so depressing. I was like, oh yeah. crap, of course. How did I not think of that? But of course, oh my god, um, I would have um, so. so I think this was fun. It was it was a strong episode. Um, when the creatives, when the writers and the directors and the and the the interviewers and editors and everybody is passionate about something, particularly passionate at uh, Full Frontal, I feel like that comes through, and uh, and that did here. I really appreciated um, what they what they did uh, as far as just like it's a good episode. It's interesting. I'm glad somebody is like doing interested in, in doing this. I would have preferred a much more granular, in-depth mm-hmm. book. You know, it, it had fewer things, or even like, you know, HBO or somebody like commission a miniseries with, I don't know, John Oliver's people or Sam B's people, or just like set it together, put together your own group of <laughs> people to to really examine this. I feel like you could do a really funny. And really interesting deep dive on so many of these issues uh, that they brought up in this episode uh, and and have it be absolutely captivating and well worth the time and well worth the resources. And you could probably get a bunch of nominations. You could probably get some, uh, you know, especially documentary series or late night Mm -hmm. series uh, nominations, HBO or, you know, Netflix or somebody. Um, so, So that was, you know, it did after all the hype. It did feel a little underwhelming because it's like, oh, it's just like the normal show. They don't go into it's just longer because there's more issues to talk about, but they don't go into much greater depth than they usually do. Like, I would love a special just about the arguments for and against statehood. Yeah, like I that would be fascinating to me. Yeah, I think so too. And the fact that that really they didn't really dig into that, I was just like, this is a very missed opportunity here. Um, and again, I think that the idea of, I think your point about it being a way to just keep awareness, I think is important in and of itself. I mean, she was on Colbert on Monday or Mm -hmm. Tuesday to promote this. Um, so I mean, like they were really trying to push this to get a wider audience, um, then, and to, to continue to raise awareness of it, which is in of itself really important. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it helps, and I don't know what their ratings are. Maybe they also need just more ratings to more eyes just to keep the show on. I don't know how it's doing. Yeah. Um, if that helps, then great. Maybe they'll do more specials like this. But um, yeah. yeah. Anyways, I, I enjoyed it. I'm glad that they did it. I hope that they can go deeper in the future, or the, if they have the opportunity. Yeah. Um, what wins your weekend comedy? Um. Um. Can I say Jane the Virgin? I yeah, like I really like Jane this week too. Yeah, I really like Jane this week. We didn't talk about it, but it was a really, really good, really, really powerful, really sweeping sort of episode, and also very funny. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll give it to Jane this week. And I want to yeah. throw like because the thing is that we didn't have new things to say about it, but it was really good. Right? Um, yeah, I, it was so good. Yeah, I gotta mention Brooklyn Nine Nine. How hyped are you for their three uh, three minute Adina episode they're doing this Sunday? I'm very excited. I'm so excited. Listeners, if you don't know what Three Men and Dean is, well, like, 
you need to go watch Homicide. Um, just go watch that episode. I'm pretty sure you can find it streaming somewhere, legally or otherwise. Um, and it's an amazing Homicide uh, episode featuring Andre Brower's character Pembleton. This week on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, coming up, they're going to do that episode, basically the comedy version of that episode, with Jake and Captain Holt and guest star Sterling K. Brown. You know it's going to be amazing. Um, yeah. I also I enjoyed their episode this week. I've been enjoying them as they come back. But I think, uh, yeah, I think I also... Oh, and also, shout out to Bob's, which had a really funny episode yeah. as well. But I think I'm also going to give it to, to Jane the Virgin this week. And, uh, yeah, the the feels are strong. The feels so are strong. So feels. Pre- pretty solid directing by Justin Baldoni. I think his directorial uh-huh. debut, um, actor who plays Raph. Um, but, yeah, it, I yeah. Strong feels over at, at Jane, even if we don't have new things to say about it. Um, now we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre and drama. Dooby dooby doo, where are you? We got some work to do now. Scooby dooby doo, where are you? We need some help from you now. Come on, Scooby doo, I see you. This week in genre and drama, we're going to kick things off with the premiere of The Terror, Go For Broke, and Gore. Then we'll go over to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., The Devil Complex, Supernatural, Scooby Natural. <laughs> then we'll talk briefly about Arrow, The Thanatos Guild, before we round things up with The Good Fight, Day 429. Um, no drag race this week. I'm sure we'll have thoughts on it next week. But, you know, didn't have new things to say. Other than... Their, so far, their guest panel, their guest judges have been really good. Have been really good. They've lived up to the the preseason hype and just the season in general. It's just such a take up from the All Star season. Anyways, more on that when we have more to say in a different week. The Terror premiered. I've seen one of these two, um, mm-hmm. and my note here is episode one already has me talking at my TV. You're doomed. For anybody who hasn't seen Cannibal the Musical, that's an old prospector. I'm um, saying that they're all doomed and I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I was talking about it with Alex Inc. how I don't like the in media res openings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It works great here though. <laughs> yeah, no, it works totally great here. Um but it also helps like I mean, this is a fictionalized account of an actual expedition mm-hmm. um that went horribly awry. <laughs> and like, they never found the ships, they never found the people. Well- they did find the ships oh, okay. um, eventually, but it took until like the 1980s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it took until global warming really kicked in yeah. um, to find the ships. Um, I think it was like the 1980s or 1990s when they yeah. actually finally found the Erebus and oh, Terror. Yeah. I've heard about this. Um, they did an episode yeah. on like stuff you missed in history class or something or stuff you yeah. should know. Yeah, yeah. 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 Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, yeah, no. So, like, they actually eventually found the ships and found evidence of, like, scratched bones indicating cannibalism at some point. But, yeah, so the terror takes place in, like, the late 18, mid to late 1800s, I want to say. I can't quite remember. Dealing with the terror in the Erebus trying to find the Northwest Passage. And 
not listening to Jared Harris is never a good idea, people. Yeah. Uh, listen to Jared Harris. Have you seen him? Always listen. Come on. The guy drips yeah. sincerity. Yeah. So, um, this involves, like, um, two ships, again, looking for the Northwest Passage and then basically getting frozen in the Arctic. Um, because they have a cold summer and the ice just isn't going to break. But also there's maybe a scary polar bear demon hunting everyone. Um, that comes through in episode two, by the way, Kate. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I generally sort of enjoyed this because it's very much a sort of, A, listen to Jared Harris, but B, oh my God, the hubris of man sort of mm-hmm. thing, um, happening over the course of the episode, especially the first two. Um, so I really liked that aspect of it. I like a, the sort of like a gestures to sort of an upstairs downstairs sort of vibe that they do between the commanding officers and then like the enlisted kind of guys who volunteered for this. Um, so some of the culture clashes that are involved, but also the fact that they're basically between the first two episodes, they've spent eight months locked on these ships and things are going to get kind of hairy and people are going to try to find outlets and yeah. So, but it's buoyed for me by like a lot of the performances I think are really great. Again, Jared Harris is really, really good. Um, uh, Kieran Hines, man is so good. So like, good. He's the, like perfect casting for this. It's perfect casting, but it's also like his ability to sell this sort of relentless um denial optimism mm-hmm. is so good and really really powerful um when he realizes that he has fucked up. Um yeah. he's he realizes he's fucked up and he apologizes, but he's not really willing to do a whole a big apology. Um and I like that. So, and then, like, Tobias Menzies plays, like, the restless, why is everyone listening to Jared Harrison giving that guy any credit character? And he's very good in this as well. Mm-hmm. So, across the board, it's really well acted. Um, the location and or set design for them exploring the Arctic is less good. Yeah. Um, it feels a little, it feels a little, uh, It either it's... Either it's a very bad set or a very good studio, uh, a very good on location type thing that just looks made up mm-hmm. in that kind of a way that you, as someone who's never been there, would sort of go, I can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I really like both of these. I'm eager to watch more, um, but I've been talking for a little bit. How did you feel about, like, you only watched Go For Broke, so how were you feeling based on just watching Go For Broke? I thought it was really creepy. Creepy AF. Uh, I thought that it was very atmospheric. Um, I think the... I didn't really need the flashbacks that we got within the flashback, you know? Um, yeah. But I think as the show continues and the men get desperate and more and more hungry mm-hmm. and more and more uh, uh, just, like, haunted and, and ravaged by their experiences, the flashbacks to them in health and prosperity um, will become more and more potent, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I see what they're going for there, and I am ha- happy to go with it. Uh, the performances, like you said, are excellent. Um, the, you know, for me, it's it's just fun to think of, like, uh, to think of Rome to now, you know, with Kieran <laughs> Hines as Caesar and Tobias Menzies as Brutus, and then you know, all these years later, they're doing this one. Uh, I think I think most people know how good Jared Harris is, if only for Mad Men. And right. I think and... 
Like, even though he was supremely underused on Game of Thrones, a lot of people are maybe more familiar with Kieran Hines. Not as familiar as they should be, but, like, they're like, oh, yeah, that guy, he's good. He's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I don't think people who don't watch Outlander Mm -hmm. understand just how good Tobias Menzies is, because on Game of Thrones, his character was very wishy-washy, and, like, intentionally so. Mm -hmm. But... He's he's amazing on Outlander. Like he's really, really, really good. One of the more underrated performances in all of TV in the past five years. That sure. good. Yeah. Um. And so it's great. That's part of why I'm so excited to see him on The Crown this uh, coming up next year, and to get for him getting more high level project or like more um just visible projects. Yeah. And like at least in the first episode here, it's just so fun to watch him play such a different kind right. of reckless of, of baddie, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's a completely different character than anything I've seen him play before, and I've seen him play a bunch of bad guys. <laughs> um, of different but that's all sorts. he plays. It feels like sometimes like fundamentally good guys. Like on Outlander, one he plays two characters. One of the characters he plays is fundamentally a good guy who then has insecurities and is gets sort of b- pickled in bitterness, and in, in one of their time jumps forward. So then he's still he's not a bad person. Just he's very bitter, and so that comes out in different ways. And so it's just, it's it's very interesting to see such a different performance from him here. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing how that trio intersect mm-hmm. and, and interact more in the in the coming episodes. Um, so yeah, I, I I'm very excited about that. I liked what uh, we got with the doctor. I thought that was really good. I wasn't anticipating that. The doctor or the surgeon? The sorry, the surgeon. Yes, surgeon, very different. Yeah. Very different yeah. at this time period. Um, and oh man, that sh- that scene underwater, super oh, creepy. So good. So good. Like, yeah. I'm just like, that's, that's just the body of the guy who froze earlier. That's all it is. Just all it is. Pull the rope. Pull the rope. Get out there. <laughs> like, yeah. the pacing and the timing of that is, a, is supremely effective. Um, I saw some people talking about, like, when I was looking for reactions to this, like, I saw a bunch of pieces talking about how this is the most scary and chilling and terrifying show um, in recent TV. And I'm like, but did y'all watch Fortitude? Because, like, season <laughs> one of Fortitude... Like, it was pretty, was pretty yeah. weird. It was very, creepy. very scary. Yeah, very atmospheric, very creepy. But it felt yeah. in a similar way, you know? Um, so I yeah. that's exciting for me. The cold I, will do things to you, man. Cold yeah. Will do things to you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm looking forward to watching more of this. I don't know that... I, I'm trying to, like, tamp down on my expectations because I don't know that it right. can deliver on them. But I think it's yeah. a very promising first episode, and we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, and I, I think your point about the atmosphere is really good because, like, I had the, the closed captioning on because I was watching something else. And even the closed captioning is making sure that you're aware of the fact that the ships are constantly creaking. And that just adds so much to, like, an oral experience for the mm-hmm. show. It's just, like, you're just hearing things that trigger, oh, something's going on from, like, your experience watching, like, creaky floorboards. It's just like, no, the entire thing is one big creaky floorboard, guys. It's constantly creaking, and it's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very excited to keep watching more of it. I was really frustrated where, um, like, AM, like, my on-demand, because I forgot to set a recording for this, my on-demand was just like, you can watch the rest of the season now. And I just went, oh, I can. And then they're just like, if you sign up for AMC Premiere. And I just went... You sons of bitches. <laughs> nope. Never mind. Nope. Then. 
Never mind. Um, so <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll, I'm gonna keep watching this because I'm I'm very excited to see how the, if they can keep this up. Hopefully they can. It's another like eight nine episodes, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited to see what they keep doing. I'm yeah. I may like seek out the book too. So cause is this, this a one off? On is this like a mini series or this is this is this gonna continue past season one? I don't know. Um, I depending on like how quickly they move through this. Yeah. Um, I feel like that this can't go on very long. <laughs> there's only so many people to gonna, kill. There's only so many people you can eat. Yeah. Uh, um. So we'll see. Um. The second se- The second episode. Mm, excuse me. I will note does introduce um some uh, natives quote unquote that uh-huh. um Heinz's character does not. Uh, particularly care for, mm-hmm. as you will be shocked to know. But Jared Harris's character speaks their language. Of course, again, surprise, uh, surprising no one. Um, yeah. And so that introduces some of the more mystical, like monster element that was a part of the book um, that will carry through in the show, um, and that comes through a lot more given the second episode's title. Mm-hmm. Indeed, <laughs> yeah. indeed. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of horror, we have a little horror connection here. Agents of Shield: The Devil Complex had a took a, a bit of a, a horror turn for part of their mm-hmm. episode here. Yeah. Um, and uh, what did you think of that? Were you excited for this return of the Doctor? I I haven't seen those episodes. The framework from the episodes, last, right? The framework episodes. Um, so I'm sure I'll have a different perspective on this than you did. But how did this episode work for you? I really, really liked this episode. Um, I was, I, I mean, the whole Fitz's concerns about Leopold slash the Doctor, um, like being a part of him, really drove a fair amount of the tail end of season four's like anxieties for him. Um, and it's sort of been like a part that he's been like passingly maybe tapping into, especially when he was being a bad guy, bounty hunter in a galactic badass mm-hmm. type of thing, um, during the, um, Kree future arc. Um, so this idea that he, the doctor would manifest as part of this fear dimension type thing was a really good sort of setup for that. And so, well, I was sort of like kind of lukewarm in this whole fear dimension seeping through type of thing as kind of just stupid. Um, To get this kind of a payoff for that concept, I really, really liked it. Uh, It was worth it, basically. And so to have that be a red herring for him basically slipping back into being Leopold... Um, or needing to do that to cope with whatever like weird stress he or residuals type of stuff that he has. Um, I really liked it and I thought it worked really well. I liked the reveal of it um, played off really nicely, even if I sort of like figured out like just before I just went, wait a minute. Wait, and so Mm -hmm. I was really happy with it overall. And I like the sort of tensions that it sort of ends up bringing into this um their the Fitzsimmons relationship because I thought for sure we were done torturing the two of them because of we were torturing we were torturing Mac and Yo-Yo and I figured we had just moved on to torturing those two people but no don't worry mm-hmm. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is just like wait no well, this we, is still we have a mutant enemy do. show guys yeah no we still need to we still need to torture these two very lovely people um and uh, you know Simmons is already pregnant so, yeah, um, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I, I generally really enjoyed this. Um, and it was a nice reprieve from a lot of 
the villain stuff that we got in the previous week, and we can talk a little bit about the villain stuff at the the stinger for this episode because it was like, Ugh. no. Um, one cares. But how did you feel about it? <laughs> um. Okay, I didn't see the framework stuff, so there's that. Sure. But I, yeah. I just don't care about Fitz the way that a right. lot of people do. Right. And that is that, like, I enjoyed the character and of the characters on this show, he's one of the ones that's gotten by far the most exploration, depth, and development. Don't yeah. get me wrong. So I'm on board with Fitz. But the way that some some fans of the show, or viewers of the show, and not just, I'm not saying that they feel so because they're blind fanboys and girls, but... Mm-hmm. They see a depth in this character and in this performance and in the writing for this character in this performance that I just don't. I don't care the way that mm-hmm. I need to to fully invest in this. Sure, sure, um, sure, sure. And, and like, I, okay, oh, he's having a mental break because he's uh, not. He's gone without sleep for days on end, and he's under extreme strain and stress, and like that makes sense. And I think they executed that well. But I just, I, I wasn't that scared. By mm-hmm. by him or it, uh, I think the direction was pretty effective. Like the the angles and and all that was effective and everything. And I thought it was solid. I thought it was good. Um, but for me, uh, it just didn't pack the punch that I think it right. would have if I was on the same. If I was in, as invested as so many people clearly are. Like I'm at like a seven. And I feel like most people who regularly watch the show are at at least a nine and a half, (laughs) maybe at 11. And I'm I'm probably like an eight because I do think that the performance is really good that he's Mm -hmm. been, he's as a performer, he's gotten significantly better than when the show started. Well, Um, and I was on board with that performance back when he was doing the fades. Like, you know, like when he was first cast, I was like, yeah, nobody else knows who this guy, he's really good guys. He's really good. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that he's, he, I think that that performer's gotten really comfortable as they've darkened that character a lot. Yeah. Um, but I do, like, agree that, like, I, I'm just, like, not at the, that level where a lot of other people are with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think uh, that it's generally, it's worked really well for me anyway. Um, but I'm, like, not much higher than you in my engagement with that, so. Mm-hmm. But I, and I also thought it was a really satisfying payoff. Like, I was watching this going... Oh, okay, so that explains why they did the fear dimension thing, or the yes. special beyond one episode. That explains why the fear things can touch stuff, even though that doesn't make any sense because they needed to have this fake out here. That explains why we did the reveal about um, what's his face, the grandkid, so that we Jeez. could have the yeah, so we could have this ending of this episode, like the the tension and the the promise for better things in the future, even if it's you know for all he knows. She, you know, Fitz goes away and she marries somebody else, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, especially since she's already pregnant, you know? Um, so there's, I, it, it really it came together very satisfyingly in a way that m- it made everything make sense without feeling tidy. And that isn't yeah. always an easy thing to, to, to balance. So, uh, yeah, I like this episode. Um, it, yeah, like I said, it's not as effective for me as it is for others, but I th- I did think it was a strong episode, and especially compared to last week's episode, because I just don't care about these villains at all. Like, they've no. been really bad. Like, the villains, I've, said, I've talked about the Kree, you know, be like, okay, we get it, we all watched Rome, you know, come on. Um, yeah. But but these villains are way less interesting. Well, the the big problem I had with, like, last week's episode was just like, I totally forgot about that guy. Mm-hmm. I totally forgot about Strucker's son entirely. I'm yeah. pretty sure I watched that season, and I, just I went, know I did, but yeah, and I just went, 
Who is this guy? Why do I care that he has an eidetic memory? I don't know. And then they're just like, Strucker's son. And I just went, Strucker had a son? So this whole, we're cobbling together a, like, Legion of Doom type of setup or whatever the Marvel version of that is. And I can't remember. They have so many different groups. Mm-hmm. Um, that And they're all working for the Kree that has Hydra involved. I don't know and I don't care. I really don't care about blonde lady at all. Hale, yeah. Yeah. No, 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 the daughter. Ruby? Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, I don't care about her either. I, like, I don't care about Hale, and I really don't care about the daughter. Like, making, like, an imp- like a impudent, bratty teen character be your, like, villain, like, that's, like, an instant way to make me not care <laughs> about your baddie <laughs> at all. Um, so, yeah, yeah well... I'm not invested in what's going forward with that, but they, you know, I am invested in the the heroes. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see what happens as they round out the the and oh, wait, they don't they have a full twenty two, don't they, this season? Uh I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not a, we're, they're not around the corner at all. No, yeah, okay, not yet. We'll see what happens. Um, let's move on though to our next episode, which I'm very excited about. Uh, I'm Woo! sure you were too. Supernaturals, much hyped, uh, much like long anticipated Scooby Doo crossover, yeah. Scooby Natural. Uh, now, remind me, how much Supernatural have you seen? I've seen all the way through season six, uh huh, and then I've seen the musical episode. And uh-huh. that's, um, that they did. Um, I don't remember if French Mistake was in season six. I don't think it was. Uh-huh. Um, so I've seen, like, some of the meta episodes they've done since season six. Um, but, and I've watched, like, a little bit of season seven. Whatever, like, the Legion, um, bad guys were. Um, so I watched a little bit of that. Uh, but I have virtually no idea what's going on. But I always tune in when they do these episodes. <laughs> Yeah, well, because usually they do a wonderful job of making them stand alone, but also tying into the th- character right. arc and threads and development. They don't even try to do that here. This is Which straight is up smart. standalone. But, it, you know, like, I was like, how are they going to do that? Because they did such a wonderful job on with that on Changing Channels, on the mystery spot, yeah. on French Mistake. Like, they managed to do that in, in episodes that, you, how would you possibly make that thematically relevant or... or relevant to the arc of the season um but but they so i was i was really excited about that but they don't they don't go for it here and honestly in season 13 in a scooby-doo crossover i'm gonna just go with it right and also you have to consider the fact that this is basically this episode's been in production for a year there's Mm -hmm. no way that you can have that kind of a built-in thing to what they were going to do this season when they were animating and writing this last season yeah, yeah, definitely. It just wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so how did this work for you as a Supernatural episode? How did it work for yeah. you as a Scooby-Doo episode? What did you think? I think it works really well as both. <laughs> yeah, um, right? Um, It's just, A, it's really, really fun. Um, Jensen Eccles is, like, particularly Jensen Eccles is a really good voiceover performer, and that comes through here really strongly. Um, but Padalecki's also really, really good in this episode as a voiceover performer, but the animation's really, really good. It pops really nicely. The silliness of Dean's ability to make a sandwich shuffle and then open his mouth super wide and how excited he is that he can do this. It's gold, Kate. (laughs) (laughs) It's gold. Um, but one of the things I really like about this is like a Supernatural episode is that... It still feeds into a lot of them as 
kids with really terrible childhoods mm-hmm. um, of like, no, I know all of this because we were constantly on the road. I've seen all of these. And just that whole idea of whenever they bring in like Dean's pop culture knowledge is always such a delight. Um, yeah. So to have that kind of play through here and him be like, it's it's that guy. And it's just like, well, then why don't we do something about it? Because we need to defend the innocence of the Scooby gang. I will take a <laughs> bullet for that dog. Um, it's, it's just so, I like when they allow Dean to just be pure and innocent. Because mm-hmm. it's my favorite kind of Dean. <laughs> um, so as a Supernatural episode, it's really good. It's very, it's one of their funnier sort of meta episodes, I think. But as a Scooby-Doo episode, it's really delightful, um, in part because I liked how they carried over the resolution of so many Scooby-Doo episodes into the actual Supernatural episode of, like, yeah, it was a it was a bad real estate guy the entire time. And it's just like, this is very good. It's very down, good. Down to, like, how much they telegraph it right at the beginning. Right. You know? Right from the beginning. It's, it's just like, immediately this is... obvious that's what's going on. Yeah. It is. But it doesn't matter because it's so fun mm-hmm. and so delightful and so silly. But I will. It, the fact that they also just kind of gently poke at Scooby Doo of like, we could have been hunting Dracula's this whole time and Fred <laughs> just banging his head against a tree. <laughs> The, the the breakdown the nervous breakdown of the Scooby Gang yeah. I thought was was fun I thought it was interesting the choice to really hew to the like the company line of the Scooby Gang I kept waiting for yes. them to make some like jokes about uh, Velma you know being into Daphne or some stuff like that and they they really didn't they just were like nope yeah. we're gonna play it super super straight to be to make a pun out of it um but i think that i'm imagining that's probably something that that was a deal with like the scooby-doo people right with that branch of warner brothers and it's funny that you mentioned that because one of the things i was like really remarked by was the fact that this is less overtly sexual Mm -hmm. than the johnny bravo scooby-doo crossover episode from like years ago where it's very clear that fred is very annoyed that mm-hmm. Daphne is paying way too much attention to Johnny and yeah. also makes a, but Daphne, when they are like deciding where to split up, deeply implying the fact that we never see Daphne and Fred when they split up because they're getting it on when they split <laughs> up. But the Johnny Bravo episode makes that very sort of implicit explicit, whereas mm-hmm. they, like you said, really huge to a party corporate line with this, but in a way that feels very embracing of it without, mm-hmm. like, going over the top. And I've yeah. talked a lot, so please tell me uh, how you were feeling about it. Yeah, no, I thought this was really good. And, you know, I I was particularly impressed that they managed to maintain the Scooby-Doo episode for, the like, the full length of the episode. Like, it's... Scooby-Doo episodes don't have enough plot or story or interest for, like, 15 minutes, let alone 45, you know, without commercials, 42, whatever it is. And, yes, there's a tag at the beginning and the end, so, like, that's five minutes there, six minutes. But but still, it's a full half an hour animated, and they really do maintain the, the pace and the tone and the humor. Like, they do a really good job with that. The, this episode, um, you know, like, I think it would be very possible like, for some of those... People were talking about when we talked about the critical um, and especially non-TV critical reaction to Roseanne. I think it'd be very easy for for some pop culture pundits to look at Supernatural and assume that what they do over there 
is easy, is boring, um, or and doesn't take particular skills, like or like especially from the from the leads, the cast, you know, that they aren't great actors or something like that. It they don't have necessarily the most range. But they are really good at what they do. Just look at that opening scene. That opening scene, they're fighting a dinosaur, and they sell it. They're fighting a plushy, like like they. It's so completely ridiculous. But they commit fully to it, and it totally works. It works in a comedic way, in a comedic supernatural episode way. But a lot of people couldn't pull that off, and that's why this show is still on the air in season thirteen. And that's why those guys, the leads, Jensen Ackles and Jared Padalecki, are still very happy to be doing this job because because they keep it interesting, and they get to really you know they're they're willing to just fully commit to episodes like this. Um, mm-hmm. I agree that Ackles is a little stronger in this than Padalecki. I think Padalecki is much better with the physical like reactions like his moments best moments on the show almost always are reactions and and like little physical tics and stuff like that as opposed to vocal so um that's not surprising to me but i I thought that it you know overall it worked really well it was super fun it's not like my favorite of these special episodes like by a long shot because again it lacks that depth for me Mm -hmm. but just the glee of it the like they're just willingness to just go all out it's terrific it's it's and you could look at it as a way of these characters, if you want to get more into the characters and the, the depths of it, um, trying to protect their youth, their innocence, yeah. and like their memories of their childhood, the, the, the fond memories that are within all the trauma. Yeah. And in that, you know, that level, I thought that was, it was really fun and satisfying to see. I didn't need them to hit the Daphne stuff quite as much as they did. I thought yeah. that didn't quite work as well as they wanted it to, but, but on the whole, like the, yeah, they didn't use Caswell either. They, they that wasn't no. as good as it could have been. No. But overall, I thought it was really satisfying, really fun, and just shows how well the people over at Supernatural, like, I know they've had different showrunners over their 13 seasons, and there's turnover in the writer's room and everything, but there is still a core cast and crew over there, production crew and creative team, um, that know what they're doing and do what they do, what that show does really 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 well um and episodes like this are essential for maintaining a show this many seasons for yeah lightening things up a little bit in the middle of the apocalypse you know all the horribly dark stuff that happens on this show um like we saved the world you guys also like released lucifer and started the apocalypse like you guys have done a lot Okay, let's back it up on, like, saving the world a lot. I did appreciate that Buffy quote. But, um, yeah, I, 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 just, I thought it was delightful and really lived up to the hype. Yeah. I think, like, my only thing, this was probably, like, a Guild Union thing, mm-hmm. was the fact that the voice cast from What's New Scooby-Doo, which is who they pull to do the Scooby gang, don't get a guest starring in the opening credits. They get a co-starring in the closing credits. Okay. Um, and I was really frustrated by that, um, since they're such a huge part of the episode, in mm-hmm. a way that if these were live actors in this episode, they would have all gotten a guest starring credit. Mm-hmm. And they get a co-starring credit at the end, um, which I assume, again, has to be like some sort of weird guild union type thing. Yeah. Um, but 
it's a really good group. I mean, Fred Welker's been doing Fred and Scooby for, like, decades at this point. And then you've got uh, Grey Delisi, um, whose hyphenated name I can't remember off the top of my head, doing Daphne. You've got Kate Micucci doing um, Velma. And then Matthew Lillard, who's been doing Shaggy as a live actor mm-hmm. <laughs> in two movies and now is doing it, uh, was doing it over on What's New Scooby-Doo, because that got canceled last year, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a really good vocal performance all around, and I just wish Guild Rules allowed them to be credited as guest stars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's not the show's fault. <laughs> that's not, yeah, that's, that's how yeah. it goes. Um, what do you want them to do that they haven't done yet now? What should be their next episode? Be? Oh. Like, how are you going to top this? I don't know. Like, they can't do another animated episode because, A, this took a long time, and B, I yeah. have to imagine it was one of the more expensive episodes the oh, show definitely. has ever done. Yeah. Um, um, just from getting, like, the voice cast alone, that can be really expensive on a certain sort of level. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know what they can do. Um, I don't know. Like they've done everything. <laughs> they've done everything. It's just like, they've been sitting on doing an animated episode probably for like 12 years at this point. Um, mm-hmm. so who knows what they can do, um, again. Um, yeah. Cause they've done, they've done a musical. They've done of, a musical. Kind of. They've, they've yeah. done a time loop. They've done lost their they've, memories. They did alternate reality yeah. several times that like, yeah, they've done anything you can think of. The only thing that they haven't done, and this has actually been discussed a little bit, is the fact that they haven't done a body swap episode because Jensen Eccles has discussed how the fact that of everyone on the show, he's never played anyone else. Well, they have done a body swap episode, just not with the two of them. Yeah. They've had Sam get body swapped with a kid in the past, but they haven't had the two of them swap bodies. Yeah. Which is, so. like, something that is weird when you think about in 13 episodes that they haven't done that one thing. And, well, and uh. that's something that would be would be possible for them to tie into an Any arc. of, like, the big plots, yeah. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah. Anyways. What would you like them to do? I don't know. Are you still watching Supernatural on, like, oh, a no. racist? Okay, I didn't think no. so, yeah. I, st- I broke up with the show. I finished up the season, but then broke up with the show after they killed Charlie. I have a real problem with, like, all these positive things I'm saying about the show, yeah. but I've got a real problem with its horrible record with women and people of color. Yeah. And, like, I will give them credit for all the things they do well, but I will also not shut up about how I hate their treatment of women on this show uh, overall and people of color. Um, and it's just, it's a, an abysmal track record. And it doesn't seem like they're particularly interested in fixing that either. Nah. Which is, that's, that like, if you were acknowledge a problem, they go, oh, yeah, I guess, oh, okay, let's fix that. That's one thing, but that hasn't happened. Um, we're so going to do a seen, spinoff like, with I've a bunch seen... of ladies. No. Yeah, I know, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I want to see Wayward Sisters, but, um, but no, I've seen 10 of the 13 seasons and then a few episodes here and there. Um, yeah. Which I feel like is enough to have a definitive opinion. <laughs> I feel like yeah. 10 of 13 seasons is a good sampling. <laughs> Oh, anyways, uh, raise a glass over to, to Supernatural. Well done with Scooby Natural. And uh, I hope some... It was their highest rating since the season premiere. It was really high ratings yeah. for them. So hopefully some people checked out the show who wouldn't normally. Um, let's go over to Arrow and the Thanatos Guild. We're going to be super quick on this one. But we just wanted to mention it because uh, Willa Holland, uh, is, this is her swan song on the, on the show. They sent her off into the sunset. Um and they brought Nissa back to do that, which y- y'all know I love Nissa. Yes, but I, I like I'm trying to think of like I think they needed to do this like a solid season or two earlier, 
because not only like she's she's kind of there, but she's also kind of checked out. And uh, Colton Haynes, who plays Roy, is totally checked out. Like I, I was like, are there cue cards off screen? Like he's not invested at all. No, he wasn't invested in like the previous episode. He was a little more this week, I feel like. But uh-huh. last week he was just like, what is this show again? <laughs> What yeah. am I doing here? Who is this character? Because I don't fucking remember. Mm-hmm. And don't care. Um, and don't care. I, I'm very glad to get this paycheck, but I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Like, the show has really struggled to find anything for Thea to do since she decided she wasn't going to be a superhero anymore. Yeah. yeah. And so that whole, like, it was just like, you can be deputy chief of staff with Quentin. And it's just like, the show doesn't know what to do with Quentin half the time. So this idea that you're going to know what to do with Thea when you pair her with Quentin for like a solid season, it's just like, oh, you're just, you're cornering off the two people that have nothing to do. Yeah. Um, So yeah, this should have happened a lot sooner. Um, The process in which it happens is fine. Um, I like Nissa a whole bunch, so having her come back and her whole thing about the running gag regarding the marriage is very good in this episode. Felicity doesn't like that. Well, yeah, that's the whole point. Like, duh. (laughs) That was terrific. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so that was really good, and I would legitimately watch this spinoff. Oh, if if the actors were invested, yeah, I totally Yeah, if the actors were invested in that, I would watch that spinoff, um, because it would be it would be a great deal of fun. But as like a transmedia sort of thing, it'll probably be something that they explore somehow. But yeah, no, this should have happened like a long time ago and it was, it was fine for what it was. Um, but yeah, it's time. And I'm glad Willa Holland wants to like find something else to do because she's very good when she's like keyed in. Yeah. Um, but as soon as she like finds a new project, cause even like Mark Guggenheim was just like, We've known Willa wanted to leave for a while. <laughs> it's been pretty um, clear. Yeah. Yeah, it's been really clear. Um, yeah. We just, um, she had a contract. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will give a shout out to friend of the show, Allison Shoemaker, who reviewed this episode over at the AV Club. And I mm-hmm. co-sign 100% one of the things she says in her review. Actually, most of what she says in her review. But um, the fact that all of this happens in the course of two episodes, like, guys, this should have been like a season long thread. Yeah, that would have it would been, have been so really much more satisfying. Thread. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, like, but having like the guild show, the, these other assassins show up, and then they find up, they have to search for a box, and then they have to open the box and find the map, and then there's the puzzle of how how do you just you know like yeah that's that's like you can do that perfect. It's perfect for episodic TV. First, you yeah. find out that there's a problem. Then the, they get told about the problem. Then they have to figure out where the box is, and they have to figure out how to open the box. Like. Come on, that would have been a much more, in- and and then when she did decide to leave, that would have been that could have been a much more satisfying, and yep. rather than having it all condensed down. But I did really like the last scene we got with her and Ollie. I thought that was a nice little, mm-hmm. and the dialogue callback to the the pilot was strong, and and all of that too. So we'll see when they have them pop up again, you know, for the finale or whatever. Yeah, sometime and, at some point. At least they didn't kill anyone. Right, no, that's really good, and like the ninjas can come back, and God yeah. knows how much we love ninjas on Arrow. Um, yeah. So, did you did you see the promo for next week's episode? Uh, remind me. 
apparently Oliver and Diggle are going to fight. And it's oh, just yeah. like, oh my god, I'm so tired of all of these people fighting each other. Yeah. Um, I think that this is probably my last episode. I think yeah. I'm actually legitimately going to tap out after this. Yeah. Um, I keep saying that. Yeah. But we'll I see. think it's... I think it's true this time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, speaking of fighting, let's go over to our last episode for the week in TV, and that is The Good Fight, day 429. Um, Mm -hmm. And this was a solid episode for me. I think I appreciated the previous episodes more, and I'm I'm really looking forward to um, the next episode, actually. I like the perspective split in this, actually, quite a bit. I thought it was effective, but I just don't. I don't care about this Diane stuff that they're doing. It's not working for me at all. And anytime they try to remind me of the terrible, completely out of character decision to have Kurt cheat on Diane at the end of The Good Wife and then leading to the stuff we see here, it just makes me angry because it's mm-hmm. totally out of character. And they spent like a decent amount of time setting up that character and that relationship to then completely undermine it for no reason just because they wanted to have Diane Symmetry. slap. Yeah. You know, like, that's it. That That's not a good reason to sell out a character. Um, nope. So here in this episode, and I was reminded particularly of the King's willingness to sell out a character for a moment. In this episode, when they have her sleep with someone who isn't Kurt for the first time, I think we're happy to, I think we're supposed to assume, since yeah. they separated so that he could show up in the next day. Like, cause, yeah. and, like guys, that, like, that's really lazy. That's, like, really yeah. obvious. It's not challenging. It's not interesting. And I don't believe it. And you can tell because of how they frame it that... Because she, she rebuffs his advances, and then we cut away, and I think we're supposed to imply that she doesn't necessarily remember a lot of what came next because she was drinking and she's been microdosing. And mm-hmm. as soon as they try to play that, I'm going to be pissed off because I don't buy the microdosing stuff i don't think they've sold it to me effectively and then like this idea of her being self-destructive and making these decisions that she regrets and like no no unless they go like a full like a a full boy meets world ski lodge situation where kissing the other person uh lets tabanga realize that she doesn't care about Corey kissing the other person you know like and that it's possible for that and it helps her get over that which I don't think they're going to do. And yes, guys, I did just compare the good fight to Boy Meets World. Um, I, I don't think this so is going to work for week. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but the rest of this episode, I thought the stuff with the teacher uh, was 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 well done, even if I was raising an eyebrow at how they were getting paid uh, for that. Um, and I thought the stuff um, with uh, Luca, especially after not getting enough time with Luca in the previous episode, I thought it was nice to have her a little more front uh, in, the, in the ensemble here, a little more forward in the ensemble here. I'm not super invested in this, like, secret baby, but we're not going to tell him drama. Like, that seems really stupid. Yeah, I don't know where that that decision came from. It's a bad decision. Um, It's worse than the microdosing self-destructive behavior, but it's still, those are still bad decisions too. Um, Yeah, I'm not crazy about that. Um, Yeah, and I don't know that I buy Luca making that decision either. No, I don't either. Um, Not at all. I don't Mm -hmm. buy that. Um, So, no, I like, like you said, I like the split perspective that this episode has because it allows them to do two really solid like procedural sort of elements 
and do them both really well without like driving jokes into the ground. So the idea that they have a pencil forensics expert is a amazing <laughs> and b quick in and out on that because that joke just that joke will just die really quickly, but it's a very good joke. Um but no, everything with Diane is just really it's way too shaky. Um and it's it's difficult not to believe that this won't come back in some fashion because they cast Tim Matherson yeah. as the guy that she sleeps with, to which I promptly go, you don't do that for Tim Matheson without bringing yeah. him back in some fashion. Also, yeah. I have an issue buying Tim Matheson as a bartender. I don't but that's for a not... second. <laughs> as like a catering bartender. As a bartender that owns his own bar, yes, sure, I'll buy yes, that. Catering that, yeah. bartender, no. No. Um, <laughs> no way. Um, but... The other thing I will say about this episode is that somehow, after however many seasons of The Good Wife and now two seasons of The Good Fight, I'm still not tired of people looking at Elspeth Tastione and going like, this crazy person? Yeah. And then be like, yeah, and then them going like, oh, shit, she's really good at her job. And I'm not tired of it. And I will probably never get tired of it. And a lot of that, I think, is just Carrie Preston. The Mm -hmm. fact that she's so deeply committed and the fact that they make sure that they bring new actors in to do that. So it never gets like super stale. It's just really, really good. And so watching that play out again of like Luca go like, no, to her brother, like, no, wait, seriously. No, just don't worry about it. She's got this. (laughs) It's very good. And the call back to her being in that jail cell in that really good episode about the the dosing um, of athletes mm-hmm. with the French court. Um, oh God, that episode's so good. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go watch that after we we wrap up recording because I really like that episode. Anyway, it's it's it was very good. So yeah, the split perspective worked really well for me. And I liked the end of it of like as a button of like we have all these really good side characters and we're going to put them in this elevator just kind of remind you that they come in and out as we need them but they're a very deep and important part of how both our previous show but also this show functions and i I really like that as sort of a acknowledgement and homage to particularly those actors because like that arbitrator judge has been here for like multiple episodes across their franchise. So I really liked that acknowledgement as well. So I liked that aspect of it. Just the Diane stuff is really weighing me down. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think it's interesting is that I I'm having significant issues with some of their arcing and some of their threads this season, but I still think it's a significant improvement. Like the show overall, I think is in much firmer Mm -hmm. ground in season two than it was in season one. Cause despite these questions I have about, or like, not a question. It's not a question. I don't like what they're doing with Diane. Yeah. But it's still way better than all the stuff with Maya's family. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it season. is. But that's a very low bar to clear, so we shouldn't be giving them that much credit. Yes. <laughs> yes. So so I'm on board. I'm, I've been having a lot of fun with season two, even mm-hmm. if I, you know, have some you know, concerns or, or frustrations, yeah. maybe is a better term. But what wins your week in genre and drama? <sighs> I don't know. Um, this is a tough week for me because I... I will, I'll split with Terror and Supernatural, I think is probably where I'd lean. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll split between the two of those. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to do that, too, because they're yeah. just so different. So, mm-hmm. like, we'll joint tie on Terror yeah. and, and, and Scooby Natural. So, yeah, good times. Now we'll take a break, and we'll come back with our spotlight on 
uh, Terrace House opening new doors. We'll be right back after this. back with the televerse this is kate calls who turns this ever by noel kirkpatrick and this week as you may have been able to tell if you were on the terrace house bandwagon you recognize that terrace house theme song um we we're talking about the first pod or first half uh or first chunk i should say of yeah. terrace house uh opening new doors uh that we just heard and this is obviously a show you've been following for a while noel we've talked about it on the podcast before or you've talked about it and i've gone ah oh, interesting <laughs> Yeah. So now I wanted to I wanted to, to check it out and and see see what I thought and catch up with with this show and uh, so there are eight episodes in this and I I, I checked about like going from like forty five minutes to like as low as like twenty five or like thirty on the low 30, end yeah yeah um and this is a reality show uh where six people uh live in a house together in Japan and uh, or in Hawaii the previous season yeah um. And what separates out from the real world or some of these other shows, Big Brother, is that they also have a panel of six viewers who are watching the footage and commenting on it. Um, and, like, so there's running commentary. So you, so it's, you get to not just experience – it's like watching TV with, like, Twitter open kind of a thing. Um, and that really enhances the experience, like you were saying. Like, I totally agree. It super enhances the experience um so why don't uh why don't we kick it off with what do you think of the now that you've seen the whole thing the whole set of eight how you feel about the this season this cast and are you excited for the next set of episodes that they're going to release this cast is so good kate i can't get over it (laughs) um like i i mean we've got we've we've got you die and just he's so terrible and horrible and we're gonna talk about him mm-hmm. um but I, I really like this group um like um i was talking with eric Thurm a little bit because he was wondering about like who people were sort of ranking and he mentioned um taka um nakamura the professional skate uh snowboarder um here mm-hmm. and he was really concerned that he was another eric and eric's sort of an older older guy that was in aloha state who ended up being really boring and not at all interesting and taka's not that he's really great and he's really like he's deeply invested in yudai's general development to a fault and it's so beautiful and lovely but also just the relationship between that is burgeoning between uh, Subasa and Shion is so good and so pure and so wonderful and just it's perfect, Kate. It's so good <laughs> um, that I, I really like this cast. Um, 
as it is right now, um, even though at the end of episode eight, it's implied um, that Yudai is going to be leaving very shortly. And normally when people announce that they're going to leave, they normally leave like the next episode mm-hmm. um, on the show, um, unless they have like some goal in which they are going to stay on for a certain period of time. And then they're going to leave, uh, which happened uh, quite a bit in Aloha State. Um, but typically they're so Yudai is probably gone next uh, in the next chunk of episodes that we get. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like this cast. It's a whole big breath of fresh air uh, compared to a lot of the people in Loha State for me, um, who were just generally sort of not the best, um, even though I liked some of them. They were also just not very good at interacting with one another. And like I said, when I discussed the show a couple of weeks ago, um, opening doors a couple of weeks ago, the fact that they're sort of like in the country for want of a better for want of a better designation they sort of have to a like find jobs located in this particular area if they don't already have them but then they also just have to spend a good deal of time with one another in the house or doing stuff and all of these people really genuinely seem to like one another with the exception of you die and so like that snowball fight is so mm-hmm. glorious and so wonderful to watch them interact in this kind of a way that really didn't come up a lot in Aloha State. Or when it did, it always felt tainted or tinged by something else mm-hmm. that was happening in the drama of those six people. Here, everyone apart from you die feels generally fairly well integrated, that they like one another, that they really kind of care about one another. Um, and so that family aspect that I kind of talked about, again, a couple of weeks ago, I think really comes through by the end of this chunk. Um, so I really like this cast. I'm, of course, very eager for the next part um, to get dropped, like, probably in the fall um, or, like, very late in the summer, very early in the fall. Um, so how did you feel about watching it you mentioned how much you really appreciated like the commentators who are all uniformly just really wonderful and i will note that um the young pop idol idol young actor um Mm -hmm. who's shono hayama actually participates which is very different for the person who is typically in that slot Uh typically have nothing to offer um, so his his degree of engagement is a little bit of a departure for the show, but I really like it. Um, but I so I'm curious about how you feel about the chemistry between the commentators. But I'm also curious about how you feel about watching a reality show that is not interested in drama. People are legitimately here to make friends mm-hmm. <laughs> and like to also like find romance, but also that in this group feels really kind of cornered off in a lot of ways, which I also find really refreshing. And just in general, like how does this shape up to basically, did it live up to how much hype I've done, Kate? (laughs) (laughs) Or like, how, how did you feel about it? I will say the first episode for me was real slow. Like Mm -hmm. I just assumed it was like an hour long show. That first episode is very slow. Even, even I will say that it's a very slow episode. Like, listeners like power through it (laughs) and then it's way better by the second episode like it's just Mm -hmm. like i it's just bad the it's just bad like because it's so the the editing the pacing like they could have cut so much out of that first episode and it would have moved along a lot 
less uh, lethargically, shall we say. Um, but no, what's neat about this is because the pr- perspective and the priorities are what they are, certainly with this cast, um, it feels much more like what the real world was supposed to be, which is just like get different people together in a house and have them talk to each other and interact and get to know each other, right? And there are a bunch of young people and they're all attractive, so probably there'll be some romance. But like... And even in the first seasons of the real world, they were allowed to, like, carry on jobs and that kind of a thing. Yeah. And that went away very quickly. Yeah. So, but this show, Terrace House keeps that because they have to pay for their food. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, and it, it, I think it just gives it a much more interesting tone and perspective because they feel much more grounded and real. Mm -hmm. Um. And I, I enjoy this cast quite a bit, uh, with the clear exception of Yudai, who starts out okay, but, like, think about what he must be like to live with. Oh, my oh. God. He's, he's So, listeners, this guy is, air quotes, an aspiring chef, but he's not doing anything to actually do that. So, like, But he knows guy, how to sniff those vegetables. He sniffs, but, but you don't know that he actually knows what he's doing. No, he's sniffing vegetables, but he might not be learning anything from the vegetable that he is Studying just the heating techniques. Really yeah. getting those heating oh techniques down. <laughs> yeah. So, but he's just, he's 19 and he's mm-hmm. painfully immature. Um, yes. And not interested in maturing at all in any mm-hmm. way. And it, like, I wonder what it was like to watch this for him, but I, and that's where having the commentators there is awesome <laughs> because they immediately just start like ragging on him and just like, Oh my God, this kid. And, and at first, and, and you go on a journey with the housemates and also with the commentators around this, where like you're cutting him some slack. You're like, Oh, well it's, it's, he's, he's a little puppy dog. And, and then like after a couple episodes, you're like, he's still using his dad's credit card to buy Gucci. That's absurd. He's 19. This is ridiculous. And he never does the dishes and he never cleans cleans up the house and he's just like, would be a terrible roommate. Um, and like you can see the other people getting more fed up with him over the course of the episodes. And um, and yeah, so I, yeah. he, he and, and like he's like fine as a person to be a friend of, but you wouldn't want to live with him. You know, you wouldn't want to be relying on him for anything. And you certainly wouldn't want to be in a relationship with him, which is why I just cackled with glee when he tried to get back with his ex that he dumped out of nowhere so he could do this show after dating for four years. They're 19. She, he's 19 and they dated for four years. So that means he's been dating this person since he was 15 and he ditched her so he could go on this reality show and then after he gets shut down you know for very i think legit reasons by the person he's pursuing here he just calls up his ex and is like so we'll get back together right and she's like no you're an immature idiot you just you want me to drive you around again and probably i'm gonna have to end up paying for our date that you want to go on and and you want to go on on christmas eve no i'm good And Christmas Eve is such a huge date in that culture, especially. Like, it's Mm -hmm. a very big deal to have a date on Christmas Eve. Like, that's a very big thing that he's taking a very big assumption and swing for. That just is so ridiculous. Yeah. So, while, like, there's there's nothing wrong with Yudai. It's just, he's very, very immature. 
And so, like, he's not a terrible person or anything. He's just very immature. He's a little terrible. And, well, just, like, he's just very self-centered and, and yeah. immature. And he's, he seems, he strikes as the kind of person who needs to, like, learn his lessons the hard way. Because he has yeah. plenty of less opportunities to learn his lessons the easy way on mm. this show. And he yeah. chooses to not learn them. So, um, yeah. So he's... He irritated. doesn't even know the name of the restaurant that he's going to be working at. It's so good. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. But I, I enjoy uh, the rest. In, in, like, having a character, you know, I say character because, you know, there's an edit and people act differently yeah. than they are when they know they're being filmed and everything. But having a, a persona, I guess, like that sure. in the mix can make things more interesting, certainly. And it yeah. can be very entertaining. Um, but I feel like the rest of the characters are... Uh, like, it's good that there's only one <laughs> in these first eight. Um, Amy, um, I enjoy Amy as well because she's the 20-year-old model who's also very mature and not really doing the work she needs to be doing to if she actually was pursuing the job she, sh- she says she is. Um, but she's such a great contrast to you, Di, because she's not then sitting around making excuses for herself. She's aware of the problems that she has and that she, she should really be doing more and all these things. And um, she's also not causing problems for other people <laughs> while she does it. So I think they're a good But contrast. her friends really want her to. <laughs> oh, yeah, they do. And the, the friends are fun. Um, so, so yeah, I, I enjoyed that. And also, like, she could tell she, she goes out with Yudai because she doesn't want to say no. She doesn't want, she's trying to be nice. Um, it's, she's a little on the fence, and then by the time they actually firm up a thing, she's, she's like, I'm not actually interested in this guy, but I don't want to hurt his feelings, and, like, and it's just such a young person perspective to have that that is the way you don't hurt their feelings. You go on a date with them when you know you don't intend to actually have anything happen, and you don't care about getting involved with them, but, like, then you'll let them down easy kind of a thing, you know? She's got, so she's got plenty of maturity to do herself, but, like, yeah, I thought that- sandwich. The yeah <laughs> the uh, the bagel burger um, yeah <laughs> anyways uh so yeah so i enjoy amy um the shion and subasa thing is super compelling though i am like shion's too smooth like he's so smooth he's really smooth to the point where i'm a little worried about subasa you know okay you yeah. know that's yeah, my only sure. thing it was like i was like you don't hurt our gentle subasa you know like i'm very invested in subasa so like if you're if you're legit, if you're like sincere, then this is great. And if you are just doing this to like make yourself look good, and that's why you're chasing after Subasa and not Amy, because uh, note he takes a while before he starts making like he feels very calculated um, yeah. and very aware of because he's 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 actually working as a model um, and very aware of how this show can propel his brand and you yeah. know and all that stuff. So that's why I'm a little more leery about that but i I, they are very cute they are very very cute together i am not invested in taka's like like thing with amy he's 31 and she's 20 that's a big ass difference and like the way that the some of the commentators are really like just horny and really want to see these people just hook up is gross. <laughs> and I don't think there's been enough of a discussion of that. Like twenty yes, she's cute. Yes, he's sweet. Yes, they like have good rapport and everything. And especially when compared to Yudai, who's nineteen. It makes Taka look way better. And maybe you should not mind that age gap so much. But like, guys, twenty 
and 31 is a big number of years. That's like, it's a lot. It's not, that doesn't mean you can't have plenty of really loving, wonderful relationships with a 10 year age gap when one of them is 20. But like, that's a significant thing. I feel like the show is trying to, is aware of it, but trying to make us forget. (laughs) So, so, so I think that so far I'm on board with the, with each of these characters and um, with, like the the dynamic in the house and i'm enjoying some of like the little like glances and smirks and like the 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 glee of getting to sit with the commentators and like overanalyze everything and mm-hmm. put your own narrative onto everything it's really satisfying and fun but um yeah we'll see uh, some of that will depend on where things go yeah and I, I do think that, like, the Taka and Amy thing is sort of, like, they're kind of also aware of it as well, of, like, yeah. the fact that he's just, like, she's she's sort of like a sister, and he's she's just, like, sort of like an uncle, and it's just, like, keep that vibe and just stay in that lane, because otherwise this isn't going to be okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah. I, I, yeah, and I think that that's, that's good that there's a degree of awareness about it, because I just... A, we should note that um, uh, Taka is 31, so he's the oldest person in the house by mm-hmm. a sizable margin. Like, yeah. the second oldest person is Mizuki, who we haven't really discussed. Um, she's 26. Mm-hmm. And so um, he just has this, like, degree of, like, old manness about him, mm-hmm. which is just really delightful. Um, and... I think that that's sort of like hopefully like his his desire to sort of mentor everyone. <laughs> I think is hopefully like influencing how he's going to start approaching Amy. Hopefully, hopefully. Um, so let's talk about Mizuki we, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So Mizuki's the one who in episode five calls out Yudai and all this shit. Um, oh, and it's after glorious. She, it's glorious. It's like one of the best house meetings on this show, and it's uh-huh. not even a full house meeting. There are better house meetings, but this one is very, very good. In part because Mizuki is about eight to nine cans of beer in <laughs> when she launches into him. And it's very good. And But what I liked about it is that, A, that confrontation is very good and Yudai learns absolutely nothing from it or takes anything from it. But also we find out that Mizuki is sort of maybe wanting to get back together with her boyfriend from from Korea. And the degree to which she's apparently happy to do this, to where Aunt Amy's asking very indelicate questions about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really interesting to watch how both the, uh, the women on the show are responding to Mizuki's choices, but also how the commentators are responding to that and navigating text messaging. <laughs> and... How, how really delightful and how very clearly you, who's the older um, woman on the commentator cast, and uh, Yoshimi um, Tuki, who's the gentleman who's sitting on the floor um, between you and Azusa, mm-hmm. um, they just clearly have such a deep history <laughs> <laughs> that, it's, that it informs a lot of it. And so it's just, it's very... It's very interesting, but how did you feel about Mizuki? Because we, yeah, she really, for me, flies under the radar a lot for, like, a significant portion of this part. I really enjoy Mizuki, and, uh-huh. um, I, like, I I think she's terrific, and because and I think she's a good foil to so, to so mm-hmm. many other people, because she, she's actively working a job. Granted, it's yeah. a freelance job, but, like, a lot of the people... She's clearly, like 
like doing a lot of work though. Yeah, she's she's yeah. very driven, very focused, and a lot of the people on the show are have like part time jobs or like kind of scra- scratch a bunch of things together to like scrape a bunch of things together, I should say, to make ends meet, or they're like still students and living kind of like kind of somewhat support themselves, but living off their parents a little bit, or like these are like still because they're nineteen, twenty, twenty two, twenty four. Like if you're a professional ice hockey player, you're not making money you're not if you're a professional snowboarder you're not making money which is what taka does um so she's the one while still being a freelancer is feels the most like grounded and mature because of that she and that's why she's the perfect person to go off on you die and and just how immature he is and and how he if he wasn't constantly talking about how he wants to be independent and wants his dad to respect him and all that stuff, that would be one thing. But he is. You don't get to do both those things. And I love that yeah. she calls him out on it and because nobody else is going to. They're all thinking that, but they're not going to say it. And she doesn't say it in a way that's spiteful and mean and hurt. She just she just lays it on the table. And uh, it's the fact that maybe it takes a few beers to get there, you know what? Fair enough. If nobody ever calls him on this stuff, he's never going to no. change. They called him on it. He didn't change. But, you know, that's part of growing up. Hopefully he will figure that out at some point. Um, I also like her dynamic with, I think the dynamic with the guys and with the girls um, is works really well. The The age ranges, I think, are are, are interesting and um, and the just the dynamics. I think they're similar and different enough that they're, it's interesting. And um, I will... I I was very invested in her and her horrible boyfriend that she's way too committed to, who is not committed to her at all. Um, and that just made me sad. Yeah. I wanted her to dump that dude, but she's not gonna. No, she's not. She's so not gonna dump him. It's like, you deserve um, so much better than this guy who trampled all over your heart. Mm-hmm. Yep, totally. So, like, when he, like, sort of literally slides into the show, um, mm-hmm. the same way he slides into her text messages, um, that it's just, it made me really sad. Because I, like you, I also really like liked Mizuki a great deal. Mm-hmm. And so, even if she was sort of, like, clearly very busy compared to the other ones to a certain degree, even if she can do a lot of work from home... Um, she was just like, I can't work here because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there's too many dishes around you die. Just wash the dishes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so this, this whole aspect that maybe she'll like leave and go back to Korea to like launch the like brand that she wants to launch. Launching a brand, by the way, Kate, is a very big thing on Terrace House. Clearly. <laughs> Everyone wants to launch a brand on Terrace House. Just that's... It's kind of how this show operates, is that, eh, I, j- I got this idea for a brand that I want to do. I'm going to go in Terrace House and hopefully get some investors or some exposure for it. That's kind of how this show operates in a lot of ways. That's definitely um, what Taka's doing. Yeah, it's definitely what Taka's doing. Um, so I think that, that I think that her goal is really good, and goals are a very big thing on this show as well. It's like they're constantly talking about, what are you here to do? Because it's just like, you don't have to worry about a house and you don't have to worry about a car. We have to buy food, but everything else, your time is freed up to do something. And I think that's one of the other really big things I like about this show is that it's in part intended to mobilize you to achieve something. Mm -hmm. And that's such a different sort of, for this kind of a reality show, that's a very different sort of concept. 
And it's one of the reasons why I find the show so attractive. It can also lead to things going really very sideways, um, in particularly in Boys and Girls Next Door, which if you're going to backtrack, I won't spoil what it is. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just, it's a really sort of weird way that that can get exploited to a certain degree. Um, but for the most part, people treat it really seriously and really earnestly. And that's one of the big things I like about this show is that it's just like, we're going to figure out what we want to do. We're going to achieve a goal. And even Yudai's goal of, I want to achieve independence is a neat idea. He just doesn't do anything to do that. Yeah. And that's why everyone gets kind of upset and frustrated with him because that's what the show is supposed to free you up to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's. The discussion, and because you're talking about the focus this season is less on hookups and, and trying to, like, date, you know? And I, uh-huh. that's something that I really appreciate about the season. I don't know how interested I would be if it was just relationship yeah. drama. Um, yeah. Because there is this focus on purpose and on responsibility and on trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life. And this is a good age for that, you know? Especially yeah. if it's going to... This batch is very... Of, of, of contestants or housemates or whatever you call them. Um, with the exception right, no of, yeah. <laughs> of, of, of... With the exception of Taka, they're all pretty much, like, early 20s. Uh, early yeah. to mid twenties, and so that's that is you know kind of when a lot of people are trying to do that, and and you got Taka who's in a profession that has kind of stunted that because he can only work half the year at that. It's not something he can do. He can do year round. There's an on season and an off season, so that's kind of that's that's why he's not more established. And you can tell that he very much wants to be. He's been working. He's been selling you know a brand of um, athletic wear or whatever for a few seasons or a few years, I should say, and. Now and he's trying to like stabilize things and and that focus I think is is much more interesting and watching how those perspectives and how the priorities intersect amongst the group of housemates is way more interesting than y'all are gonna run a juice shop you know like they do on real world or they have done mm-hmm. at least at one at one point um yeah so it's it's interesting. Yeah, so you've mentioned the commentators a couple of times and how, like, th- I when I first started watching, I mentioned how, like, really important they were um, mm-hmm. since I didn't have anyone else to watch the show with. Yeah. Um, um, and how, like, really vital that was to my enjoyment of the show. So how do you feel about, like, them sort of, like, doing a, like, commentar- commentary and, but also, like, does, like, how much does that add to the show and, like, Who's your favorite? <laughs> I don't know their names. I think that the the balance is good in the group. Yes, I think yeah. th- I think they have a very good balance. Um, and because so, yeah. if they had one or two people who kind of took over, that would be less interesting. And they yeah. have some different perspectives, which I think is important. Um, I think they are essential to the yes. show. Yeah. I think they are essential because like and th- they let you, and, and it's also with the editing and when they choose to go to them and that kind of a thing. But like the like the way that they. They, they basically it's an opportunity to inject humor and uh to call out and to like sp- speak for the audience at a moment you know um right when things are happening not like later in the comment sections you know like it, yeah. it's or happens. the or the the reunion show or like yeah. that kind of thing yeah yeah and and these are not that long of episodes most of them yeah. are about 40 minutes so so if they if you took that out it would be about a half hour show and it would be way less interesting uh you get fewer perspectives and like responses to what's happening and and the breaking up this is like because it is such a naturalistic kind of show it's very 
contrived in the way that they clearly sit down to have conversations so those conversations can be filmed. But there isn't a lot of extra manufactured drama, um, at least the way these things can go in reality. So it could get glacially slow if you didn't have comedy breaks, basically. Um, and so, yeah, those those are they're essential. That group is essential. And I do really like that it's six and six because it'd be very tempting to just have it be like two. Um, yeah. So I prefer, I, I do like that it's that it's six and six. And I think that's a good, I'm assuming it's what they always do. That's the breakdown they always do, but. Yeah. And for the exception of um, ha- Hayama, um, the young, the young man, mm-hmm. that's been like the core group for the commentary. I think since Terrace House like started. Yeah, well, um, and the callbacks to previous seasons is also yeah. terrific because I'm sure if you're right. a longtime viewer, like that's you might not be get, catching all of those, but you're definitely yeah. once every couple episodes like getting your TV exactly right, you know, yeah. which is great. Yeah, and they have like such a like deep long memory of mm-hmm. like previous stuff that I really enjoy that. But they also like kind of like poke at like Netflix every now and then. Um, which is very amusing. Um, I I really like uh, Yoshomi, who's the um, older of the three guys. But mm-hmm. I also really like Ryota, who's the fellow who just wants to watch everything burn to the ground. Um, <laughs> he's the one with the glasses. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the very good sweaters. Mm-hmm. They both have really good sweaters, though. But um, but I, I generally really like all of them. Like, use insights into stuff, I think, is always really spot on. Um, I love... I can't decide whether or not Rina is like that deeply innocent mm-hmm. and sheltered as she comes off. I have to assume that she's not and she's kind of putting this that's on. That's a persona, yeah. Yeah, that's very much like a young Japanese starlet persona that also sort of reminds you of reminds me anyway of the young Japanese starlets who would be iron uh, judges, judges and Iron Chef. Yes, thank you, I Kate. I love you... the shout out to Iron Chef uh, Michiba. The, in the, yes. that one episode, I was like, yes! Yes! <laughs> yes, that made me, also made me very happy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so I guess, like, my question then for you is, are you going to watch part two when it drops? I'll probably watch it so that I, we can talk about it. If, if, okay. If you weren't watching it, I probably would not. Um, sure, sure, If only just because the whole thing is subtitled and there is no option for a dub, so I have to... Yeah. I can't be watching anything else or doing anything else or folding yeah. laundry or anything. I have to be yeah. completely focused. On... I don't have a lot of time for that. <laughs> In my daily life, <laughs> That's fair. we watch a lot of TV, but a lot of the time when I'm watching TV, if I'm not writing about it, if, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm not being paid to be like super keyed into it, um, I'm doing something else. Cause I'm, it's, there's, there's not enough time. So, yeah. um, yeah, I will probably watch it so that we can talk about it, but I don't know if I normally would. However, listeners, if you like reality TV, if any of the stuff we're saying is interesting to you, do check it out. It's yeah. it's really fun, and it or yeah. even just if you want to like this listen to and like practice your Japanese or something, because I know I've got family members who watch TV as like a cultural exchange, you know, to like see what is popular or what is interesting um, about TV from all other parts of the world. Um, and this is an excellent way to do that. So, yeah. um, and Terrace yeah. House is like very popular in Japan. It's very, very popular. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's getting more and more of a following overseas too because of Netflix. Yeah. So, so yeah. get on the bandwagon listeners. Yeah. Yeah. No. And like uh, start with opening new doors or start with boys and girls in the city, uh, which uh-huh. is the first season that Netflix aired. That season's very like, it's long. It's like 
40 something episodes but it's mm-hmm. also very good and there's a lot of ups and downs in that um you can skip aloha state um mm-hmm. but yeah so this is the, the nice thing about like any reality shows that you can just sort of dive in and like you said like there are references in terms of like personalities to previous seasons um but you can basically come in cold and you'll be okay yeah yeah no i i had a lot of fun with this so thank you for recommending it and i'm yeah. glad that we talked about it today um a few show notes here at the end of the episode you can find a post for this episode over at the where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's tv you can email us the at gmail.com you can like our page on facebook start up a, a, a conversation there you can uh find our our m4a chaptered feed and our mp3 unchaptered feed and itunes you can find us up in stitcher ratings and reviews either place would be greatly appreciated and of course we are both on twitter i am at the televerse and noel you are at noel rk i almost forgot (laughs) and speaking of forgot i forgot to mention up at the top thank you to our commenters at the website this week we will talk about uh your your feedback next week on the podcast i meant we meant to talk about at the beginning but but i got distracted by all of the renewals and everything so we'll talk about uh dollhouse and izombie and uh and some of these other things next week on the show so have a lovely week Noel. thank you so much thank you Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.